This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all sports radio station, 105.5 FM, WNSP, and on the Sound of Mobile app. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim, Lee Shervanian, and Michael Brauner. The opening kickoff. Here are Mark, Lee, and Michael. All right. In for more. Three hours of the opening kickoff starts now. Mark Heim, Lee Shervania, and Michael Brauner, and you. Right here on the sports station, WNSP and WNSP.com. Got a little news for you. Some notes, some comments, some questions, some criticisms. You know, the regular rigmarole. You know, on the brighter side, uh, yesterday after our very fine lunch and thanks to the uh, Blind Mule uh, supplying us with uh, some terrific food. So as I was leaving and you guys were there and you said, why don't I stick around? And I half kiddingly said, no, I got to get home and watch the first toastery bowl or whatever it's called. Normally that game was played in Nassau, the Bahamas, but they had to move it to Charlotte. And like I say, I was half kiddingly, but when I got home and the score was so one-sided uh, that at one time Old Dominion was leading Western Kentucky at 28 to nothing. Obviously, I wasn't going to spend time watching that, but I, fo- I followed the game, you know, through my iPad, and I saw where Western Kentucky had rallied. So it, they got it down to like a one-score game, like 35 to 28. This turned out, I tell you, if bowl games turned out like this, this was one of the most fabulous comebacks in the history of bowls, and it will lead to a Chick-fil-A question a little later on. Western Kentucky actually came back to win this game in overtime by a field goal, 38 to 35. But to get there, some of the most incredible stories, which makes college football so incredible. It was a third-string quarterback, Caden Veltkamp. He came in, Mark. He replaced the starting quarterback, who was the second-string quarterback and the nephew to the head coach. Now, Caden had already indicated he was going to transfer because he had only thrown, like, six passes in his career, and they were going to move him to tight end. And, like, I'm not a tight end. I don't want to go there. So he was going to leave. But they they got him into the game yesterday because the, the guy that was quarterbacking, Hilton, wasn't getting anything done. They were turning the ball over. So all he does is throw five touchdown passes, including one with about 20 seconds to go to, well, set up the tie with the extra point being made. And then in overtime, uh, Western Kentucky wins on a field goal because Old Dominion had two field goals blocked, one near the end of regulation, one in overtime. But one of the more fascinating things in this game, in the drive to tie the game, Old Dominion was charged with a 15-yard penalty. I don't know if you can see this on YouTube where the official collided with a coach on the sideline. And when they, I was watching this in real time, and when they said it, I couldn't, I didn't understand what they meant, that they called the foul on one of the Old Dominion coaches, but he wasn't over the sideline. He was on his own. It didn't appear that way. Now, maybe it, it, it shows up differently, but it was like a 15-yard penalty where the referee or the official backpedaling ran into a coach on the sideline, and they flagged the coach. Got to make those reviewable, Lee. Got to make them reviewable. Got to go to the film. So on top of that game, and like I said, you know, here's a quarterback who basically was going to leave the program. Now, I don't know if Western Kentucky is going to look back on this and say, hey, look, uh, you're still our quarterback. Don't leave and don't go into the transfer portal. The Eagle game last night. And again, here we are, backup quarterback, Drew Locke, who I think was a pretty good quarterback in Missouri. I kind of lost sight of him. He was backing up Geno Smith. So – with about a minute and 28 to go, 
and Seattle down. He engineers a 92-yard game-winning drive and a touchdown pass with 28 seconds. That's the longest TD drive they've had this year. And Seattle beats Philadelphia. This is not good for the Saints in a sense because it puts Seattle at seven and seven and joins that conglomerate of teams at seven and seven, you know, with wild card possibilities. Uh, there's so many of them now in there. Meanwhile, Philadelphia loses their third straight and Seattle wins their fourth straight. And Jalen Hurts, who was not supposed, he was questionable because of the flu like symptoms. He did play, didn't throw for many yards, but he did run for about 83 yards and he threw for two touchdowns. So that's what we had last night in football. Two very good. I didn't stay up to see the Eagles uh, collapse at the end. I did watch the Western Kentucky game. Yeah, I was watching Obliterated on Netflix. How was that? Everything you'd want in a over-the-top, raunchy, violent streaming service series. So can you make 6A football any tougher? Yeah, you can. Yeah, this is crazy. You move Gulf Shores in there. Now— the Super 7 title winners, Mobile Christian and Gulf Shores, with reclassification, both moved up. Not surprised at Mobile Christian at all. I saw that one coming, and we were told it was going to happen if they won a championship because of uh, comparative balance. So Mobile Christian moves from 3A to 4A, and Gulf Shores moves from 5A, where they won the state title, to 6A to compete with Sarah Land, Spanish Fort, and the rest of those teams. The team they replace is Robertsdale. <laughs> which is still looking for a coach has got what like about four wins in the last four years and they move up to 7a which i think will probably be a better benefit for them than having to play in 6a yeah so not only does 6a region one lose its weakest team and that's not a shot it just is what it is they gain a state champion so to your point we've talked about now for the last couple of years how ridiculous that region is and we've always said 6a is tougher locally than it is when you get out of that region to go play for a state championship where 7a is probably not as strong until you get to the state championships and then you just get you just get rocked but that that was the biggest eye-opener to me the fact that that robertsdale moved up and you're thinking all right maybe maybe 6a get a little relief and no it just gets tougher i mean it's just you'll it's like you add up it's it's so what's the who's the weakest team in that in that region now, I you, you've got me right now. Because now you have Sarah Land, Blunt. You have, you have Sarah Land. I was going to say Spanish Blunt too, Ford, but uh, McGill, McGill, Baldwin County. Yeah, Baldwin, Baldwin County, County yeah. right now. They, 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 they haven't even named a, bit, a coach they yet. They improved have they? a bit this my, season. My point is, I mean, it's just it's ridiculous. They haven't named a coach either yet, have they? Baldwin County. I think they're still looking there. Now their previous coach uh, has moved on. I think he got he's the head coach at uh, Calera High or something like that, uh, Ryle. But uh, Robertsdale's looking because I did call Robertsdale. Well, I thought I called Robertsdale, called the who I thought was the principal at one time. He's now at Daphne, but they haven't hired. Baldwin County hasn't hired. But the other thing too that caught my attention, Bayside Academy. They move volleyball to seven A. Yeah, they're running out of places to put them. They've won a title in each of the six classifications, and they moved the football team from 4A to 3A. Well, there's yeah. way too, ma too much math going way, on. There. Way, way too uh, much. You know, I've always, I, 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 I've always wanted a school's entire athletic program to be in the same classification. I find it ridiculous that that can't be the case. 
we've talked about this at nauseum. I think we're at the point now where I think you make competitive balance for everybody. You keep the multiplier for the for the private schools, and I think the reverse ought to be true too. So if you're so successful that they move you up, if you're having a really tough go at it, maybe you should move down. So like, I wouldn't have moved Robertsdale up. I would have moved Robertsdale down. I don't know if they would have been any more successful or it would have been any more tougher, but the idea is the higher the classification, the tougher the football or the tougher the sport. That's not always the case, but theoretically that's kind of the, the whole idea. So to move Robertsdale up just seems to be counterproductive. Yeah, in the case of Robertsdale, of course, it has to do with school enrollment. Obviously, there was a school or two that moved out of the 32-7A uh, and, and like I said, I, I mean, it, things can't get any worse for them moving up to 7A right now, and it may be a little bit easier than having to throw that gauntlet of teams in 6A. But again, that, that program is such in flux now because they don't have a head coach. So for clarification, you know, when you hear about Bayside or Mobile Christian or any of the private schools, that is a direct result of competitive balance. Robertsdale, I think we're to assume, and Gulf Shores, we are to assume that their enrollment has grown to the point that they are moving up. So there are two different things going on here. Now, I feel, and I no one's ever going to say this, but I do feel that a lot of these schools try to cap their enrollment at a certain uh, number so that they don't jump. Uh, that doesn't appear to be the case in Gulf Shores or Robertsdale. For sure. So that's where reclassification stands right now. Those are the big stories locally. We will talk to Ronnie Cottrell this morning. We've got the uh, Gulf Shores coach on tomorrow to talk about reclassifying. So your reward for winning the state title, you move up. But again, Bayside, they had a pretty good year this year. That's what surprised me on football. They had a pretty good year in football, but they moved down. And again, they fall under that uh, uh, balanced issue too. the uh, – comparison battle whatever you call it balance uh in the app market simple you rec you recruit you go up pretty simple robertsdale down yeah 1100 kids versus 400 diaper comment what's a diaper comment okay. have I mean. to ask nick about that <laughs> so anyway there's another story out there because you, you I clearly have sir i've never seen robertsdale play football um michael i know you've been on this case about uh, Dylan Rayola. So Carson Beck announced with Georgia he's coming back. So I don't know how the timeline was, but I guess when Rayola found that out, he decided to go to Nebraska where his family's got ties. But I f what I find interesting, if you remember, we haven't really talked much about this. He's a five-star quarterback, considered one of the top recruits. So he flips. But he had actually moved to Georgia, right, at Buford High? Correct. You moved to Buford High to be closer to Athens, and now you decide to go to Nebraska. Makes sense, right? Yeah, Georgia, I think they call it the Buford curse. They got a long history of not landing top prospects from Buford. I don't think it has anything to do with Carson Beck. Rayola probably won't start freshman year at Nebraska. Maybe he will at Nebraska, uh, but... Yeah, I, I don't think Carson Beck coming back necessarily scared him off from going to Georgia. I think it's just a matter of, you know, he's got a family legacy at Nebraska. His uncle coaches at Nebraska, and I'm sure NIL factored in uh, factored in there largely. So uh, it is what it is. It's, it's cool for college football. 
Uh, so well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You don't. So, what if Carson Beck had decided not to come back? I, I don't think that affected see, the I, decision. I, I have. I have a feeling it did. I, I, that's the way I feel about these quarterbacks. That they know they're not going to play. Quarterbacks think they should play, even though he'd be an incoming freshman. And I agree with you on that. That it would be better for him to sit out a while. But. I think that had a lot to do with it because he sees Beck coming back. He knows he's not going to play unless Beck gets hurt. Did did, did anybody think that Carson Beck was going to go pro? Uh people had thrown that out there, and he would have been he would have been drafted probably I, similarly I to where Stetson felt Bennett was. Strongly, like oh yeah, that dude's definitely going. Pro. I didn't feel strongly, but there was a narrative out there, Mark, that uh, he was considering it. Now, nope. I don't know how strong it was. I didn't think he was. I didn't get the feeling that he was leaving. You look at like. Brock Vandegrift, the guy who went to Kentucky, he's a guy that, that would have stuck around if uh, Carson Beck had left. I, I really don't think Rayola was affected at all by Beck. Because, again, if Rayola is that good, he might have started gonna, over Beck next year anyway. But wait a minute. If you're going to go with the family ties, why didn't he commit to Nebraska to begin with? The family's been there. They, 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 know. Uh, you know how these 16-, 17-year-old kids are. They change their mind. It's true. I guess uh, this was the money. Got was the money. I'm sure the money, money was. I'm sure the money's a factor too. It, I mean, it's 2023. All right, so it's 6:16. Here's what we got today: Ronnie Cottrell at 6:30, Travis Ryer on Alabama at 7 o'clock, Jerry Palm talks a little college hoops at 7:30, Keith Niebuhr on Auburn at 8 o'clock, Ross Dellinger at 8:30. Former NFL running back Rashard Mendenhall took to social media for yet another tirade this one right down racial lines we'll tell you what it was all about when we come back we're just getting started it's a tuesday edition of the opening kickoff right here on the sports station wnsp hey this is buckets blakes from the world famous harlem globetrotters and you're listening to wnsp in mobile Six twenty-three. Uh, welcome back in the opening kickoff. Mark Lee and Bronner with you in the studios of WNSP. Game winner by Seattle on the brink of defeat. They win it. Locks touchdown pass. The difference with twenty-eight seconds to go. So Nick Saban held a press conference yesterday. Mark had a lot of things to say. Uh, many things revolving coaches. Uh, Coleman Hunter, the linebacker coach, who's headed to Mississippi State to be the defensive coordinator. Uh, Nick was asked about that. He says he'll stay through the playoffs. And then, of course, he was asked about George Helo, who was hired from Michigan, uh, where he had been a linebacker's coach a, a year ago. Uh, he was brought onto the staff as an analyst, and he had been a linebacker coach. And then he was asked if that's a possibility of replacing Hunsler with Hilo. But Nick said, I, I'm not getting into that right now. I'm only focused on the game. And then he was asked about changing signs during the game for obvious reasons. Yeah, he, look, Nick Saban's playing chess. Everybody else is playing checkers. I mean, that, that Michigan hire was none other. There, there's no other reason to make that hire. Now, he says he always hires someone around this time. But, of course, we know why. He hired. It's incredibly calculating. I ain't mad at him. I'm, you know, it's a good move by him. He's certainly under Harbaugh's skin right now. You know, the question ought to be: Is Harbaugh changing his signals now? Um, and I think we all know the answer. I think it's great. 
Nick says, I'm not really concerned about changing signs. He said, I'm focused on play execution and things like that. But you know there's going to be a little bit of concern about it and trying to avoid what many teams felt was sign stealing by the Michigan Wolverines. Uh, so we'll talk some Alabama coming up at 7 with Travis Ryer. What did you think of uh, Rashard Mendenhall's uh, comments? Did you see him the other day or yesterday? Mark, I have not seen him at all. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't even remember who he is. He's a former running back, NFL and running back. I uh, played for the Steelers. Uh, and I quote, I'm sick of average white guys commenting on football. Y'all not even good at football. Can we please replace the Pro Bowl with an all-black versus all-white bowl so these cats can stop trying to teach me who's good at football? I'm better than your goat. So there have been... People out there putting white rosters together and black rosters together over the last 24 hours, and it's been hilarious. That might spike up interest in the Pro Bowl because it doesn't exist anymore, <laughs> does it? <laughs> uh, they don't play that game anymore, do they? Didn't they ban the game because of lack of interest in it? Well, I, I think this would certainly, uh, certainly ramp up interest. Lee, what do you think about average white guys commenting on football? Well, that's us. <laughs> so, so should we not be commenting on football? According to Richard Mendenhall. Uh, I think he's a little off base. Whose career highlight was fumbling in the Super Bowl, by <laughs> the way. Right. <laughs> you can ask Matt McCoy. I think Steelers it is, I think it is day and age. Anybody's capable of commenting on anything, whether you're right, wrong, and different. It doesn't matter. Everybody's got a voice. I have no problem with us average white guys talking about football. I just, I think he would have been, I mean, it's still controversial, and he certainly would have made uh, headlines. But at the very end, he says, I'm better than your goat. <laughs> I'm not sure who that goat would be. But I'm going to I'm gonna say that's probably not right. You know, there was a, a statement that came out yesterday, which I think was even more prevalent. As you know, one of the Steelers, uh, Cassie, I think his name is, was suspended for the year for his hit on Michael Pittman in Saturday's Ridiculous. game. Ridiculous. So Tom Brady came out and said, look, let's not directly blame Kazee, the defensive back, for the hit. I'm putting it on Gardner Minshew II for a poor throw. Brady went on to say quarterback play is down. He said if the ball is placed better, Pittman has a better chance of avoiding that hit. So kind of a different perspective. And, and you watch games all the time, and you see where throws maybe behind the receiver exposing him to a hit like that. But the, I, didn't, I don't remember the hit. I saw the game, Michael, but I don't remember the hit that much. But um, It was solely caused by a horrible throw. I mean, Gardner Minshew put Pittman in a position where it was pretty much impossible for him not to get killed. Throw the flag, whatever, and you can just chalk it up to the fact that you know, it's unfortunate and it was unavoidable, but it's such a hard hit and it's a bang bang play. You know, the rest are going to throw the flag. To suspend the guy is is uh, is unbelievable. By the frankly. way, so would Mendenhall have a problem with Brady speaking out? Ah, uh, maybe. Yeah. So let me throw this at you on Mendenhall's comments, Mark. Yeah. Would there be enough white players to put a team out of the field? <laughs> there would be, although it was Struggle really funny. I secondary. saw some guy on Twitter. Yeah, I saw some guy on I don't Twitter. I know who's covering Tyreek Hill. <laughs> yeah, That's right. it was like, there's like, oh, I saw there hasn't been a white defensive back 
and I don't know how accurate this is because it's social media, but the last starting cornerback in the NFL, it'd actually be a great uh, trivia question if I could confirm this was true. The last white cornerback to start in the NFL, 2002. Yeah, the Broncos drafted Riley Boss from Iowa. But did he year. start? I, I don't know oh. if he started a game Jason this year. Seahorn. Oh, I remember him. He was according to this guy on Twitter. Jason Seahorn. I'll so never this other guy on him. Twitter was like, I don't know. I think he, it was a guy that played at Iowa, and we might have to go right back to Iowa he, and grab somebody. He, to pull there him actually the is another one. What this? Andy Harmon's former husband. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right, we have a quarterback. We could go. Christian McCaffrey could be the running back. A couple of tight ends are okay. What about on the offensive line? I think you could. I think you could handle an offensive line. All right. Uh, Ronnie Costrell's next. Stay with us. Can you just speak to the decision to bring in George Hilo and, and what kind of role he'll fill on your staff? Well, George has been here before, so he was with us for a long time. You know, knows our system. Uh, I think every year that you know we've been in the playoffs, we've you know tried to bring somebody in, primarily because um, you know we spent two weeks really on the road recruiting. So, George knows Alabama's offense, right? You think that's the reason they uh, they brought him in? That he knows Alabama's offense? Yeah. No. I think it's because, well, as Nick said, he's known, him, he's known of him. He's been there before. I think it helps that he's been at Michigan. Yes. I think it has a lot yes. to do with Michigan. And, and I think that also answers your the other question about are we changing signals. Of course you are. Yeah, and also he stopped short of saying that he's going to hire Hilo to replace Hunsler once the playoffs are finished because Hunsler's going to Mississippi State as the defensive coordinator. Uh, we ready to talk some more football with the head coach of the championship mobile Christian Leopards. That would be our good friend Ronnie Cottrell. Coach, good morning. How are you today? Still happy. Good morning. You should be. Uh, before we talk about Mobile Christian reclassification, is this unusual for a coach to hire somebody from somebody else's staff when you're getting ready to play them? I don't know if it's unusual. It's not unheard of. Uh, it's probably rare, but uh, it's happened before. Uh, George Hilo is a good football coach, so he will – he will help them a lot, uh, but it's probably a little bit of advantage coming from that program right now, for sure, for Alabama. Being that he was recently there in, what, 2022 coaching linebackers, and I would think have a pretty good knowledge of the players who he probably helped recruit to uh, Michigan. Maybe, but uh, I think the biggest reason that Coach is bringing him back is and he's done it for years. I mean, he's brought – Kevin Steele back twice, I think, and multiple coaches that have come back to him. Uh, George was also at Georgia, uh, I think. I think he played at Georgia, and uh, he's been at Ole Miss. He's been, uh, I don't know, he's been at a lot of different places, so he's probably going to be a help to him. And, and quite frankly, I think Nick, likes guys that have been with him before because they understand what's going on and I'm sure there's a loyalty there that that he likes but um, I don't know My, me personally I think it's going to be a great game but I think Alabama's really hot right now and I think uh, you know Michigan's going to have a 
they're going to have a pretty big task in in uh, matching up with Alabama right now, I think. Ronnie, uh, you've been quite a predictor. You you were very high on this team coming into the season, and in fact, you even suggested that this team could go the distance they did and you also suggested to us that you were going to move up to 4a just talk about the move to 4a what it does for your program moving forward from 3a to 4a well the bad thing for us is that we are moving because of competitive balance i mean it's actually good too you know we've had a successful year the uh, competitive balance is what's moving us to 4a um, but our our enrollment is still the same, so we're going to be playing in a league with bigger schools. But uh, you know, I was kind of feeling bad for myself till I looked up and saw where you know Coach at Bayside is in seven A now in volleyball. That's it's incredible what she's done. But uh, we're in a good region. We've played Escambia County before. We've played Jackson. Have not done real well with Jackson. Um, we played Orange Beach. We have not played Satsuma. Um, we played St. Michael, and W.S. Neal moved up uh, from 3A with us. We were in the region with them last year. So it's not uh, totally all new people, but um, we'll, have to, we'll have to play at a higher level to, to do well in 4A, but it's just the way it is. You know, it's the way – uh, it's done in AHSAA. Us, uh, Madison Academy, and St. James all moved up uh, after this season because of competitive balance. So, and Mark brought this up, and I happen to agree with him on this. It gets so confusing. Are all of your programs in 4A now? Are some 3A, some 5A, or 4A? No, no. No, we are, it's just footballs in 4A. Now, um, Baseball is in 5A. Baseball's been, you know, they've been playing. I mean, our baseball team has won multiple state championships, so they're they have moved up. Now they're all separate, and um, and I guess that's how it should be if uh, if it's going to be because of competitive success, they move to balance the the balance of power for private schools, but. Uh, no, it's just our program. So, Ronnie, in I'm, fact, uh, we, Mark, we're all diff- there's multiple different yeah. programs here that are in different classifications. I've said this for a long time, and I'll, I'll maintain it. And I think it, I think it, it's it's even, uh, I think it, it makes even more sense now considering the the transfer climate of high school athletics right now. But I think you need to do competitive balance across the board, and then keep the multiplier for uh, private schools. If you want to increase the multiplier a little bit, whatever, to, to make the public schools happy, that's fine. I get it. But I think a competitive balance across the board would make more sense because I think ultimately, and I think we all know this is coming, at some point there's going to be more talk about splitting public and private. It's happening all over the country. It rarely works, I might add, but yet everybody continues to go to it. What are you hearing in terms of the High School Athletic Association and where they are on that conversation? not heard anything from the AHSAA. I mean, there's somebody suggests every year that, that we separate or divide yeah. or do this, but uh, I, I really didn't appreciate uh, the battle sometimes that the private schools face with this until I became a coach at, 
at Mobile Christian. It was my first experience in in the private school arena, but um, there's been so many discussions about it. You know, we the the multiplier changes what happens for private schools. You know, they they take your uh, enrollment and multiply it by like 1.35 right. or something to that nature. So it automatically tends to move everybody up, possibly one classification. Usually it is. and um, But the competitive balance, to be fair, it would be better if they did it for all schools. But I don't see that ever happening. I don't I just don't think they'll and, do that, Mark. Yeah, but to be fair, too, I would do the reverse, too. So if your team, public or private, is just really struggling in a two-year period, move them down. Like like, like Robertsdale got moved up because of their enrollment. I would have moved Robertsdale down. Well, I mean, if you're looking for balance. You know, we all have ideas, and a lot of times they're good, but they never get considered. But the um, – you know, we're going to have a harder time. It, it happened to us a few years ago when competitive balance moved us to 4A the last time. And uh, for two years, we did make the playoffs. We got knocked out in the first round. And um, we were uh, – we, we ended up moving back. I think it's harder now because of points to move down. What we've got to do is find a way to be better and competing at a higher level. So that's what we're doing right now. I, you know, every school in the AHSAA votes on what happens when these proposals take place. Yeah. And, um, I mean, you hear something every year, there's discussion about it. Sometimes there's change and sometimes there's not. Mobile Christian uh, head football coach Ronnie Cottrell joining us this morning. Ronnie, do you have most of your starters coming back next year? Well, we lose 12 seniors, and uh, we lose two outstanding uh, linemen, uh, Karan Prince and Bryson Fillingham, uh, actually three, also offensive linemen, Diego Camboy, who just played in the North-South All-Star game. So we will uh, have – you know, some guys that we have to replace. Um, but mostly we, we also lose a couple of defensive backs. Um, I don't know, Jordan Woolard probably had as much to do with the success we've gotten. But hopefully some of our young guys are going to grow into positions. And, and uh, you know, we've had an outstanding weight program. we got to get it and get into it again this spring and have a great summer again. Um is our quarterback returns, which is going to be huge. Um, Damian Gatson, he was the MVP of the All-Star game. Our tailback, um, P.J. Brown, and, and our captain of our defense, Cantonio Kelly, who's played middle linebacker and led pretty much the whole – he led the uh, Class 3A in most of the state in tackles. So we, we have a really good nucleus, and, and I've certainly missed some other guys. Our kicking game comes back intact. Uh, but we're just going to have to raise the level of what we do because we're going to play some really good teams. Uh, signing day tomorrow, anybody at Mobile Christian uh, signing early? No, I think most of our guys will sign uh, in the late period uh, in February, in the regular period, not late, regular period. 
uh, in February. Um, so we, we feel like we'll have several guys that will be going to school, so we're excited about that. I'm interested to see how many sign this week all over the country. Um, unfortunately, it's going to be a lot less than what we've been accustomed to through the years because of the portal. I'm talking about high school players sign. I think it's going to be, as usual, a lot of uh, races to get certain guys that are transfers, but the portal has affected the number of kids at the schools that are signing uh, with major schools. And uh, hopefully over the next few years, this will level out and get back at a normal rate. You know, I, I will say this before we let you go, Coach. Uh, one of the things I do like about this moving o around a little bit is I, I do think the kids love seeing different teams. I, coaches may not because you've got all this history and all this film on teams and schemes and what coaches run, other coaches run. But I, whether whether they're switching up regions or you're moving classes, I do think kids like the challenge of facing teams they rarely see. It's kind of like that whole SEC 8-9 game schedule thing and rotating. That's a good point. I, I tell you, when I was a college football coach at Florida State and Alabama, we would recruit the players. We'd recruit our team. And then we would almost have to de-recruit a mark to get them into the mode of, you know, being on a team and working and get past that. But now uh, teams recruit a player and they, they really can't ever stop recruiting because people are always trying to get their guys. But uh, And it's true in high school even now. Whether they're recruited or not, people are always trying to get your kids to come to their school. It, it certainly made... Uh, roster changes and roster management, you know, a priority in always making sure that you know what positions you have. It's not like, you know, in the old days where, you I mean, you hardly ever lost a kid unless they moved to another town. Now yeah. kids are moving within the town. They're moving out of town. And um, I don't know. It's going to be interesting and it's going to be exciting. I, I just know that uh, – you know, we're going to enjoy the championship we just had. It's been great. And uh, and really, when you look at the big scheme, so so few people get an opportunity to be a part of something like this. And we're very thankful and feel blessed to, to have had this experience. But, man, you got to fight to stay there. Yep, no question. Hey, Coach, we love having you on, man. We appreciate it. Congrats again. Enjoy the uh, Enjoy the moment. You guys deserve it. Have a Merry Christmas, and we'll be in touch. Merry Christmas. Thank you. That's uh, Ronnie Cottrell, ladies and gentlemen. All right, we'll come back. We'll catch up with David Green, Travis Ryro, talk some Alabama. Uh, look, when this whole competitive balance thing started, I was adamantly against it because the idea of, hey, congratulations, Lee. You just won a state championship. We did, er we did everything we asked of you. As a reward, we're going to make you play up. We're not looking for parity in high school football. And with the transfers and the number of people not and it's not just a public it's not a private thing anymore, especially around here, it's more public than I, I just think I think we need to revisit what we're doing here from a competitive balance from an enrollment standpoint, from a multiplier standpoint. We'll wrap up our number one next right here on the sports station WNSP. This is Mayor Sandy Stimson. You're listening to Sports Radio 105.5 FM WNSP.
Hits every time, Lee. 651, excuse me, 652 time flies when you're having a good time. As we wrap up hour number one on a Tuesday edition of the opening kickoff. Welcome in and a big Merry Christmas to uh, David Green of the Green and Phillips Injury Law Firm. Good morning, David. How are you? Good morning. Merry Christmas. It's a, It feels like Christmas out here. It's nice and cool outside this morning. Well, I'll tell you, <laughs> if, if you want the Christmas spirit, go into your office. I was telling my wife the other day, because she was over at Butch Cassidy's uh, with her friends, and I said, walk into David's office across the street. I have never seen a bigger Christmas tree in an office building. I mean, it's not quite as big as the one at Rockefeller Center. Where in the world <laughs> did you get that tree? And it's a real tree, by the way. Well, it is real, and uh, we have a, a fella that uh, pops Midtown, my buddy down there, Josh, uh, got it for us specially out of New York, and uh, he has a connection up there where he buys a lot of his trees, and so we've been very fortunate the last couple of years to have a beautiful tree that Josh provides, so it's been really neat, and uh, it is a big one. I just, <laughs> it's about 16 I just figured you uh, packed up the old Griswold family cruiser and went out into the forest and, and, and cut one down, David. <laughs> Yeah, that would be uh, that'd be something to have some some of those in Mississippi, but we don't have those in Mississippi. <laughs> so I walk I walked in there, and there's no place they took away. There's no room to sit now on their on their benches or their uh, couches and everything, because that tree takes up so much room. I I swear I've never seen a bigger tree in an office building like that. Kudos to you, and I'm sure. Uh, have you had a, like a Christmas party out there yet? You know, we've had a couple of small things. We had Dad's 90th birthday party. And uh, we had some other friends over, and so we've had a couple of small things, but nothing big. But uh, you know that 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 tree is certainly the the centerpiece. <laughs> well, speaking about really parties, holiday parties, and so forth, maybe some advice. Uh, do you see where, because of the time of the year, that let's say accidents get revved up and so forth because of maybe let's say excessive drinking? You know, there's so much of that out there, and, and we just encourage everyone to to have a plan in place. If you're going to a holiday party, uh, you know, have a designated driver, have, uh, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, Uber or Lyft, any of the other ride share programs, you know, just get, do not drink and drive. If you drink and drive, you know, it's never going to turn out well. Um, and, you know, and, and I tell people all the time this, if you're going to drink even one drink, do not drive. If you wind up getting involved in an accident, you know, have someone like me coming after you, uh, and you just, it's not going to turn out really good. And I'll tell you, the other thing is, too, is if, if you hurt someone, uh, you're going to be prosecuted. And so you really need to make sure that you do not drink and drive. You always ride with someone uh, who has not been drinking and uh, let that be a designated driver. Just the old-fashioned designated driver is very, very important. It can save your life and others. Well, you know, David, to be honest about it, it's well said, but you know at parties, people are going to drink and I wonder if that puts the onus on, let's say, whoever's in charge of the party to make sure those who have had too much to drink have alternative means of, of driving home. Well, I think that's a, a responsibility that you should, if you're going to have the party, maybe you should uh, have a conversation with folks and just say, hey, look, we're going to get you a ride. Uh, we're going to take you. Uh, but you just don't need to be in a situation where you're promoting that and uh, winding up hurting someone or killing someone. It's just that it can be a really bad outcome. Um, and it's just not it's just not something we want. We want to make sure everyone's safe and everyone has a great Christmas season and everyone's safe. It's just we just want that, and uh, we wish that for everyone. We wish uh, everybody over there a very Merry Christmas, and I'm sure you'd like to deliver a message to maybe some of your clients, people who come by there and, and do business with you. Well, that's exactly right. We want to wish everyone a, a Merry Christmas. I uh, want everyone to be, be safe and uh, 
you know, we're just uh, we're here for you. If something happens, uh, call us. It's very easy to reach Green and Phillips, greenphillips.com, or come by the Forbes building in downtown Birmingham uh, or 51 North Florida Street here in Midtown Mobile. Hey, man, have a great Christmas. Thank you so much. We'll be in touch. All right, guys. God bless. Take care. It's uh, David Green, ladies and gentlemen. All right, coming up, hour number two, Travis Ryer and Jerry Palm. Uh, you'll get your daily dose of fried deliciousness. We've talked about a number of things. The uh, reclassification took place. Um, how do you guys feel about an all-white versus an all-black <laughs> pro, pro Bowl? It's uh, a wild thing to hear on the radio if it you really didn't is. know about the Mendenhall tweet. Yeah, okay, you're, you're right, you're right. I should probably give a little uh, – so Rashard Mendenhall, the former former Pittsburgh Steeler running back, says, I'm sick of average white guys commenting on football. Y'all not even good at football. Can we please replace the Pro Bowl with an all-black versus all-white bowl so these cats can stop trying to teach me who's good at football? I'm better than your goat. I think you need to clarify that anytime you yeah. <laughs> make mention does, of it. Does this – I'm asking, does this, though, kind of call out – like, if you're his – if you're one of his former white teammates, mm. is this a – is are you are you taking that personally? Like Heath Miller's in, in shambles over there? Yeah, I don't know. Well, I'm asking. I, I don't know. know him as a person, so I'm sure you, many who are teammates would, you know, have certain views on him. Whether to take it with a grain of salt or, or really be upset about it, uh, it 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 wouldn't bother me at all. I mean, everybody speaks their mind anyway, and it'd be an almost impossible game to play because <laughs> I don't know if they, <laughs> the Caucasian team could field a team. Place kickers, though, they could. They have I a mean, place kicker. Uh, a team could be fielded. Yes. A team could be fielded. Um, and the offense would be okay. The offense would be okay. The The secondary would get towards. The you, secondary you'd, is the You'd have to issue. drop eight. You'd drop yeah. eight in play yeah. zone. The secondary would be the biggest. You got TJ Watt and Nick Bosa, though. I mean, the team would be okay. The secondary is the big issue. O-line, defensive lines would actually be pretty impressive. Yeah. Uh, your quarterback, your running back would be top-notch. Place kickers, punters. Yeah. Uh, your linebackers would probably— They'd be fine. They'd be okay. You, you, your secondary would really be hurt. Unless Jason Seahorn's available. <laughs> Has he recovered from his broken leg yet? <laughs> I would hope so at this point. It's been—so I saw a tweet where the last starting— White cornerback in the league was Jason Seahorn back in what I say 2002. Yeah, I'd dip into the college game for the secondary, probably. Yeah, I don't know. Well, it's a novel idea because the NFL has failed to come up with a format that works in the uh, all star game or the Pro Bowl because there is none anymore. Mm. All right, we're going to turn our attention to the tide. We'll talk to Keith Niebuhr at 8 o'clock on Auburn. Ross Dellinger expected expect to join us as well in, in our third hour. Busy first hour. Here comes hour number two next right here on a Tuesday edition. It's the opening kickoff. Mark Heim, Lou Shermanian, and Michael Braun are all with you from the studios at WNSP. Stay with us.
This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all sports radio station, 105.5 FM, WNSP, and on the Sound of Mobile app. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim, Lee Shervanian, and Michael Brauner. The opening kickoff. Here are Mark, Lee, and Michael. Yep, here we are. It's hour number two. Thanks for hanging with us. It's a Tuesday. It's a busy one at that. And so without further ado, the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Lee Shervanian. A couple of uh, really good football games yesterday and last night in the NFL. The Seattle Seahawks with a last-minute touchdown to beat Philadelphia, ending a four-game losing streak and extending Philadelphia's losing streak to three, still tied with Dallas at 10-4. and four. It was a backup quarterback, Drew Locke, who led a 92-yard drive, their longest touchdown drive of the year. And the uh, winning points came on a touchdown pass. Meanwhile, the bowl game didn't start out like it. Uh, Old Dominion had a 28-0 lead. And then Western Kentucky, one of the biggest bowl comebacks ever, and they won it in overtime, 38-35. As a little-used backup quarterback, Caden uh, Veltkamp, threw five touchdown passes. Lots of news with Alabama. They got a... uh, uh, a commitment from a four-star out at Missouri. Uh, there was also talk about uh, their linebacker coach leaving, but to bring us up to date on everything Alabama, we call in Travis Ryer. Travis, welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you today? I'm great. How are you guys? Let's start with the, uh, because tomorrow's early signing period, bring us up to date on everything you know and maybe the latest uh, commitment coming in for Alabama. Yeah, Alabama picked up a commitment from an edge defender yesterday and Jay Sean Ross from the Kansas City area, a Liberty North High School, 6'3", 6'4", 220 or so. Uh, nice player, uh, edge defender. You know, obviously, last year they hit big home runs at that position with Keon Keeley and Quay Roussal and Yonze Pierre. So they add to that. Uh, this time around with a very promising young pass rusher and Jay Sean Ross. Travis Ryer with On3, Bam Online. Okay, to uh, the coaching position at linebacker, what do you know about Hunsler leaving and perhaps a fill-in who possibly could be on the staff right now? Yeah, um, Coleman Hutzler a week or so ago was officially tabbed as the new defensive coordinator at Mississippi State, but as expected, he's going to stay on through the college football playoff, uh, whatever that run consists of for Alabama. Coleman will be a part of, also coordinate special teams, so a couple of things that he's got his hands in there, and then he'll move on to to Starkville to to work for Jeff Levy, and um, Alabama has hired George Hilo uh, has worked previously at Alabama, most recently at Michigan. So that raised a few eyebrows in yeah. terms of preparation for the Wolverines. Uh, Saban yesterday mentioned Hilo more along the lines of a special assistant at this time, but he does have a background uh, with linebackers um, and also special teams. So you know we'll see exactly which direction Nick decides to go officially with that. Again, more so after the college football playoff. So, yeah, intentionally or unintentionally, you know, you know, it's it's a little prodding of Harbaugh and Michigan. I think it's intentional. Uh, I'm just curious where you stand on that. Yeah, I don't know if it's uh, a troll as much as it is Nick legitimately trying to get what he can get yeah. out of a guy who's very familiar with the program he's about to take on in a college football 
playoff. I don't think Nick wastes a lot of time with that. I think there is sort of that NFL mentality. How many times do we see it? Um, you know, uh, let's say Bill Belichick and the Patriots are getting ready to play a team, and uh, they'll pick up a, a former player of that team uh, that week or so to come in and maybe debrief them on some things that could help them prepare for, say, the Dolphins or the Jets or a team like that. So that's uh, kind of the similarity I see there. Before, because we may not be talking to you next week, we're going to be off on Tuesday, and we could try to reschedule. Give us your take right now. With about uh, you know some a lot of time to go between now and January first on Alabama versus Michigan, some of the the things we ought to know about as far as the matchups of these two teams. Yeah, well, I mean, for Michigan, it's pretty obvious um, with Harbaugh and his teams. I mean, they take pride on the lines of scrimmage and feeling like they can match up with anybody there. And it starts with the run game for Michigan. Blake Corum at the running back position uh, has been very productive throughout his time in Ann Arbor, overcame a pretty significant knee injury here in the last couple of years to have another good year in 2023. So for Alabama defensively, that's where it's going to start. And then, you know, from there, J.J. McCarthy at the quarterback position, when healthy as a guy that can make plays with his legs, I would think. This month off has been good for him. He's been dealing with a lower extremity injury since really the second weekend in in uh, November. So perhaps he'll be in a place physically where he can do more with his legs, and I think he's going to have to because you know, Corum is, again, a really solid back. He's not especially dynamic. He's not the kind of guy like a dark West hunter that's going to hurt you on the perimeter as much. So between the hashes, between the numbers for the Alabama defense and how it goes about that, will it play more base defense than we've seen from it so far this season? Or will it stick with a bigger nickel package and try to keep more speed on the field? So uh, some things to consider for the Alabama defense there. And then, you know, offensively for Alabama, you know, can it put Michigan in some tough spots? In terms of what Jalen Milrow can do, both as a designed runner and when he breaks the pocket and extends plays. And so, now you look at explosive plays in this matchup, and Alabama in the passing game has 17 pass plays at 40 yards or more this season. Michigan has just four. So, I, and right now I'm thinking this is a game first to 24, probably wins the game. Um, I think Michigan would be comfortable with that sort of contest. Alabama, the last two games, we've seen it win 27-24 games. And, again, I, I think that, you know, whichever of these teams gets into the mid-20s first is going to have a, a really good chance to win. If this game went double digits for either team, which team would have a better chance to win in double digits, Alabama or Michigan? A double-digit margin? Yes, double-digit margin. Um, yeah, I would think Alabama, just because of its of its explosiveness, its potential, you know, to strike for those type of big plays, chunk plays. Uh, whereas with Michigan, it's probably going to need to be more methodical and you know, kind of grind it out and, and win that kind of game, in my opinion. Uh, but I think Alabama, with again the playmakers it has around Jalen Milrow, and then you incorporate what he can do. Uh, both designed and while improving, uh, that's where Alabama could create that sort of separation, I think. Yeah, you know, Travis, to, to your point, I, I do think Alabama fans, I don't want to use the word overconfident, but they, I, I feel like they're confident that Alabama's going to get this done. 
But I think on the flip side, I think Michigan supporters, talking heads, whatever, I think they question Milrow's ability to throw the ball. And I get where they're coming from. I mean, he's not Tom Brady, but he hasn't been bad, right, in those intermediate. I, I feel like there's been a steady improvement. I mean, there, certainly there's a lot more room for improvement, but it's not like he can't make those throws. You know, I've said this before, and I think this was even true of the committee, the selection committee for a while there. It's almost as if the last real look a lot of people took it of Alabama was the Texas game. Yeah. And if that's the last time you really checked in on Jalen Milrow in Alabama, then I totally get it because a couple of those throws into coverage that you know just weren't good decisions at all. I do think he's improved uh, from that standpoint. Uh, and I do think, again, Alabama in terms of explosiveness has an edge there. But as far as consistency, uh, this isn't 2020 Alabama offensively either. And I think that's probably if you're coming from the Michigan side of things and looking at this Alabama offense, you're saying, yeah, they've got guys like Burton and Bond and um, you know solid running backs. But there's not Najee Harris. There's not Devontae Smith. Uh, there's not John Mechie. Um, you know, there's not a, a Mac Jones that's delivering the football from the pocket on a consistent basis like three years ago. So I think if, again, you're looking at it more from the Michigan perspective, you're probably, um, you're probably taking some comfort in, in that perception. Are you attending the game? Are you going out to the Rose Bowl? I will not be out there. Uh, we'll be staffed. I'll be back at home base doing what I typically do on a game-by-game -game basis. So um, that's how we're going to go at it. Hey, always uh, appreciate it, man. Tell people how they can get your coverage and, I don't know, might make for a good Christmas gift too. Yeah, just go to BamaOnline.com. Uh, we got the roundtable, our premium message board there. You can also check out our YouTube channel. We're going to be going live here in just a little bit, myself and Tim Watts. Talking Alabama on the eve of National Signing Day, Rose Bowl prep as well. That's our YouTube channel for BamaOnline.com. We have up and going now. Please subscribe to that channel and turn on those notifications. You'll get all of our video content as it drops. Hey, man, Merry Christmas to you and your family. We always appreciate it. You've been on with us for a long time, and we really do uh, enjoy it. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys. Yep. Travis Ryer, ladies and gentlemen. Scoreboard, traffic, weather, and... You guessed it, your daily dose of fried deliciousness. Multiple choice, fill in the blank, true, false. We won't know. Two-parter. Never mind. So much for the radio tease. Lee Trevanian dropping knowledge right now. It's the opening kickoff right here on the Sports Station, WNSP and WNSP.com. Hey, this is AJ McCarron, and you're listening to WNSP. Chick-fil-A <laughs> I could eat there seven times a day Where the people laugh and children play Oh, I'm in love with Chick-fil-A All right, 722, Lee. Time for that fried deliciousness. What do you got? So Western Kentucky's comeback yesterday. They were down by 28. They were down 28 nothing. They won 38-35. It's the fourth biggest comeback ever in bowl history. Name the two programs that are tied for the biggest comeback in bowl history. They each came back from 31. I will give you a hint. They are both in the same conference. If that makes it any easier, got to name them both. Got to give Michael both names, 694. Both of these, not just one. 
Both of them. That's correct. Six nine four one zero five five because doozy. the because the card has two selections on it, so that's where we're going with this. But you can only get one. Of course, that is true. It's true. You can only get one. Mm-hmm. All right. So where do you, how do you guys stand on this? Where do y'all stand on the Lakers uh, raising their in season tournament banner? Well, most of the narrative, Barkley included, it's the Lakers. You don't now. If it was the Pacers or Detroit Pistons, they could understand it. But the Lakers, with all their champ, world championship banners, NBA championships, so they're, they're they win the in season and they're hosting that up there with all those what yeah. fifteen or so. I don't care one way or another. I think it's kind of silly myself because I don't think it's it's really a big a deal. I don't think it belongs up there if you win the NBA championship and go through that grueling schedule. Uh, and as it turned out, they did it yesterday, and they lost the game. I don't even agree with a team like even Detroit or Orlando doing it. I, I don't think it's that big a deal uh, to win the in-season tournament to p- put it on a comparison with winning a national title. I do think what's good for the goose is good for the gander. So if you think it like Barkley, he says it's okay to go. No, either everybody has the right to raise it or nobody has a right to raise it. I, w- I can see why people don't want to see that kind of thing, especially in the middle of the season. It just doesn't make any sense. But there is something about playing a, in a tournament, and, and that's at any level. If you're in a tournament, you got kids out there that are playing in some baseball tournament, some basketball tournament, or volleyball, you know – there's just something different about playing in a tournament where you go to the end of the bracket and you're sitting there and it's for all the marbles. So I get that there is a champion. Do I need a banner? I mean, I got the trophy. How, but when you say tournament, now obviously at the end of the year, you're playing teams, what, best four out of seven? This was just playing different teams on different days as part of your regular schedule. Yeah. These were regularly scheduled games right. leading into a semifinal and a final. The only game that did not count in the regular season was the championship game. Everything else counts as a regular season game. So I don't even see the similarity between this and winning postseason. Uh, well, there's no, there's no similarity between winning this and the world championship. But... It's still a tournament, and unless you've played in or or coached in one, are, are you advocating for raising the banner? No, not at all. Season tournament? Not at all. But I do understand why a trophy was given and why guys get excited for being in a championship of anything. They get excited because they won five hundred thousand dollars. It ra- no, there's a there's a there's something about raising the stakes. The stakes get raised when you're in a championship game. Well, the stakes got raised because they were playing for half a million dollars. These guys don't it care. Hurt. It didn't hurt. These guys don't care. These guys don't care about the regular season. I don't care if it's like, – I mean, come on. <laughs> Michael, I have to agree with you on this about the money <laughs> issue. I, the only reason this was put in there is because Silver was worried that nobody cares about the NBA prior to Christmas. Well, he's right. The NBA and shouldn't exactly. start prior to Christmas. Right. I agree with you. And that this was a way to generate some interest. But you and I both know, and Mark too, we didn't know which games counted. No. We, unless, unless I saw something that these are in. Oh, I know how. The only way we knew was if the floor was painted blue, green, or whatever. Someone in the app, as a Lakers fan, it was amateurish. I'm assuming raising the banner part, yes. Yeah. yeah. But we didn't know which game. I didn't have any idea until I, I'd tune in an NBA game, and all of a sudden the blue floor, 
or whatever colors they were. That's the only reason I knew these were the in-season tournament. But when you play the postseason, how many games, let's say you play like four different levels, best four out of seven, Yeah, that's that's an accomplishment. Winning a regular season game to get to Vegas for a championship game, to me, doesn't even come close. And you're the Lakers. And that's what Barkley says. You're the Lakers. This is beneath you. I don't care if it was the Pacers, frankly. <laughs> I mean, the whole thing was a gimmick well, and they a don't joke. Have, they have nothing to raise. So. But it worked, <laughs> right? I mean, why? Because we're, we're sitting here talking about no, it. But numbers were up watching it. Numbers I didn't were watch, up in comparison to November single, NBA. Sure. Yeah, I mean, you watched a little because you even commented on the floor. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah but I didn't comment. watch any. I didn't. No, right. It wasn't like must see TV. Oh, no, me. not at all. I'm just saying when you tuned in and you saw this paint at this floor, like yeah. glaring at you, you thought you were watching the blue field at Boise tuned, State. Tuned in, saw the floor, tuned out. That's right. <laughs> all my, my only point. And I'm not advocating for a banner at all. I was shocked that they got the banner done so quickly, actually. No, my only point is, in any sport, at any level, when you put a bracket up, things change. These aren't AAU kids. These are NBA players. That's my point, though. The competitive spirit takes over. It's embarrassing, man. I'm just telling you. (laughs) Was there a bracket? I don't even remember saying a competitive bracket. spirit. I didn't see These guys don't have competitive sure spirit in November. As somebody in the they don't said, care. LeBron wanted it, whether he at least that's what he said. LeBron puts on a front. LeBron didn't need the money. All right, let me ask you this, Mark. What if Bronny was playing on the night they played the championship with He would have he would have left, left. Would he have left? He would have left. left the championship. Yeah, but that's only so when they would have lost. They said, "You see, y'all needed me." All right, what are we talking about next? Oh, op- uh, Jerry Palm's going to join us. Hang with us. It's the opening kickoff. for hanging with us on a Tuesday edition of the opening kickoff. Mark Lee and Braun are all in the studios at WNSP. Hey, a very familiar theme there for CBS uh, basketball and Jerry Palm. Who bra- uh, Jerry, first of all, uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and good morning. How are you today? Uh, I'm all right. Uh, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to you guys, too. So you're already doing uh, brackets right now, aren't you? Are you into brackets? Well, I did one Friday. I usually do one like the Friday of what's finals week for most schools on semesters um and uh and then the regular brackets won't start until the friday before the football championship and i'll be i'll be doing them fridays and mondays but not the monday of the championship but fridays and mondays and until closer to the end when i start doing them every day this weekend this saturday produced some great great games uh oh, the purdue win man, over arizona uh the uh, kansas win over indiana which went right down to the wire yeah. Kentucky's win over yeah. North Carolina. This was really, it was like watching the NCAA uh, postseason tournament. If you had to pick four teams right now, just today, which four would be your top four seeds? Um, well, the four I had in the bracket on Friday were Arizona, Kansas, Connecticut, and Purdue. And I would go with those four, and Houston's right there as well. Um, those, those to me are a top five that are, then you start to, then you have to start thinking after you get to those five. Um, 
but uh, yeah, it's been that Purdue Arizona. I was at the Purdue Arizona game. Um, that was in Indianapolis. That was nuts. Um, that was just. It was high-quality offense. I mean, those are two pretty good defensive teams, and the score, you know, is around 90 for both teams. Um, but, yeah, it was it was a fun game, back and forth, uh, runs for each team, and then but Purdue in the end um, was able to hold them off. But uh, some great individual performances. Yeah, those two teams, that they played a game that would have fit very well uh, in a Final Four environment. And that was a game in which Edie actually got some help from his backcourt, correct? Yeah, well, Braden Smith has been a pretty reliable scorer. Fletcher Lawyer has been more hit and miss, but, man, when he's on, he's really on. He tied uh, his season high with 27 uh, against Arizona. He also had 27 against Tennessee in the Maui Invitational. Uh, but then, you know, the game before, uh, in each case, he was kind of a non-factor offensively. So he's not as consistent as Braden Smith is. But if it's not him, it's somebody else. You know, it's uh, – but he's he's the one that's capable of being the most explosive scorer outside of Smith and Edie. He just doesn't do it as consistently. Okay, Jerry, this is one of the reasons I wanted to get into this. So Alabama plays in Phoenix against Arizona tomorrow night. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, they've already <sighs> lost to Purdue. By a few points, they've lost to Creighton right down to the wire. They've played all three games on the road pretty much, although Canada supposedly a neutral site. In the eyes of the committee, let's say Alabama loses all three of those games. Do they hold that against Alabama? Well, I I mean, every loss is held against you at some level. Um, But Alabama looks like a team that's overscheduled. You lose to Ohio State, Purdue, Clemson. Creighton, and now you get Arizona, and then you go into the SEC, they're going to have to find some wins somewhere. They can't lose to every good team they play and make the NCAA tournament. They're going to have to beat some of these teams. They don't have to beat Arizona necessarily, but then they're leaving it for conference play. Um, But, uh, yeah, at at some point Alabama's going to have to find a way to win uh, against some of the at least NCAA tournament quality teams which so far they have not been able to do. So how does Alabama, you've seen Alabama in person because you saw them in Canada. Mm-hmm. How do they match up against Arizona? It's, Arizona will defend the perimeter better than some of the teams that they have faced so far um, and, and not make them comfortable shooting all the threes that they like to shoot. So uh, And it's going to be a lot like playing Purdue, really, because – um, except they're at, Arizona's more athletic on the perimeter than Purdue is. Um, but uh, And they don't have a guy as big as Zach, as dominant as Zach Eady, but they have two guys in the post that are really good. So that's going to be a real challenge because Arizona will match up better athletically with Alabama than Purdue did, but all five guys average and all five starters average in double figures. So you really have to pick your poison defensively, and defense is where Alabama kind of gets lost. They can score, but they don't defend well enough. So I think this is actually a worse matchup for Alabama than Purdue was because Alabama had some advantages athletically over Purdue's um, perimeter in particular than they will have with Arizona. Oh, go ahead, Mark. Uh, I was gonna, I was gonna throw you a curveball here, Jerry. Have you ever taken the NCAA tournament teams at any point in the season 
and rank them based on college football playoff criteria and vice versa? No, I know because college football playoff criteria is it's different. Right. No, I know. That's why. That's so what no. I'm saying. I, I, the, you know, the college football criteria, playoff criteria is the, the it's different because um, they play a third the number of games. You know, they've got um, yeah. It's, the 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 nature of college, the, the sport of college basketball, the the way it's structured and how many teams you have and and all of that is so much different yeah. that attempting to apply college football playoff criteria, but really, you know, they don't have a, a ranking system like the net, for example, that helps them. Sure. So it's a lot more subjective, uh, but, you know, head-to-head and conference championships are a thing. Well, conference championships get you automatically into the NCAA tournament. Head-to-head is a factor, but when you're playing 35 games, it's you don't have a lot of situations where it can be a tiebreaker. <laughs> so um, now for Purdue and Arizona, maybe it is. If they have such similar resumes, which seems unlikely, uh, even if they're both great, uh, that per- the Purdue beating Arizona could be a factor. But it's uh, you don't see that kind of a thing as much in the basketball tournament, um, especially non-conference games, as you do in conference games. I wanted to ask you about Auburn. They're 8-2. and two. They've had some great wins lately but after that loss to App State. Are they a top 25 team? They didn't get in, and I'm just curious if the loss to App State is keeping them out or how you feel about them. Well, it, it probably – I would say it is. I, I don't think it would keep them out of a bracket. I'm pretty sure I have Auburn in my bracket. Um, I'd have to look. Uh, but, um, yeah, when you've only played 10 or 11 games, that stands out more. When you get to 35 games, that won't stand out as much. You know, you, you have a lot more of an opportunity to kind of play that out of. It, it, it's still something that could be a factor, but more teams will have a loss like that. Um, you know, you, you, you can, if you, they go like uh, whatever, 16 and 2, 18 and 2 in the conference. I think it's still 18 games, right? 16 and 2 in the conference. Uh, you, that App State game isn't going to have as much influence once it's once it's one of thirty-five versus one of ten. So yeah, it has more of an impact now. Jerry Palm joining us, Jerry. It's never too early for us to look ahead to the January first uh, championship bowl games. The CFA wanted to uh, get your take first of all, Alabama, Michigan. Yeah, I think that's going to be really interesting because Michigan plays a you know Alabama's more wide open offensively. And Michigan can be, but they're generally not. They like to ground and pound and, and just beat you up with their line and and wear you out uh, with their offense. Uh, whereas Alabama is more likely to spread the field and you know got a mobile quarterback, but he's got good targets to throw to, and, and they'll be a little more versatile offensively than we normally see from Michigan. But Michigan has also played a bunch of teams where they can do that to them, and they may not be able to do that to Alabama. And Alabama might force them to be more versatile. Um, so I, I kind of like that matchup for Alabama. I think Michigan's better defensively, which is unusual because Alabama's usually really good and still is really good defensively. But Michigan was elite-level defense this year. Um, so I think it's it's funny. It's one of those things where you look at it and you think, well, this could be kind of a low-scoring game, but they never really are. <laughs> so, so both teams will probably score a lot. It'll be a lot of fun. But 
Um, I, I like Alabama. I picked them to win the playoff, so I like them to beat Michigan. Um, and the reason I picked Alabama is that institutionally, at least, they have um, a history of success in this and experience in this tournament. Michigan's got experience, but it hasn't been good. Alabama's got experience, and it's usually pretty good. So if you're right about that, if Alabama, who would they play, Texas or Washington? Um, I like Washington. I, what, the thing about Washington is they don't win big. I mean, they, I think all but one or maybe two of their conference wins, which was, you know, nine, um, and uh, not counting the conference championship game, they were like single-digit games. You know, it didn't matter who they played. They, you know, they were finding ways to win, and that helps you in a game like this. You know, when you know that you're always in it, that you can find a way to win in a tight game, and this will probably be a tight game, I think that that's an advantage for Washington. Jerry, as always, man, thank you for the time. Merry Christmas to you and yours, and uh, uh, we'll talk soon. All right, thanks. By the way, we got a winner on the Chick-fil-A question. Who was the winner, Michael? Kelsey. The answer, the biggest comebacks in bowl history shared by TCU and Texas Tech. Both came from 31 points down to win their bowl games back when. All right. Uh, all right, let's do this. Let's, we can break here. We'll come back. We'll open it up for you guys. A uh, number of topics today. Nick Saban met with the media. Uh, reclassification. Been some interesting. Uh, Class 6A Region 1 got more difficult, if that's even possible. And, of course, we've been talking about uh, Richard Mendenhall and his comments about uh, his idea for the next Pro Bowl. You guys can jump in on that as well. Wrapping up hour number two next, Keith Niebuhr will talk some Auburn at 8 and Ross Dillinger on the just ridiculousness that is transferring. That's at 8.30. Got plenty left here on the opening kickoff. Thanks for staying with us. Hi, this is Jake Peavy, MLB pitcher and Mobile, Alabama native. You're listening to 105.5 WNSP. on a Tuesday, man. We really do appreciate it. Uh, speaking of, if you're working hard, this one goes out to all the working men and women of the Gulf Coast. want to give a shout-out to WNSP's Team of the Day, the opening kickoffs Team of the Day, Safety Shoes Plus. They've got everything you need as a working man or woman. They offer the largest varieties right over there in Saraland of safety boots and clothing in the area. Hands down, there's no competitor they have more than 30 brands uh timberland wolverine uh keen you name it and they have over 400 styles to choose from so it's safety shoes plus they're more than shoes right we talk about the uh, flame retardant clothing the high vis stuff they got it all and it's wall-to-wall gear when you walk into safety shoes plus uh the clothing brands include rasco columbia carhartt just just to name a few 
all available in the store. Go see Morgan Granger and the folks over at Safety Shoes Plus. They will hook you up. I guarantee it. They're over there in Saraland, Highway 43. Go check them out. It's Safety Shoes Plus boots, cold weather clothing, work clothes, frame uh, flame retardant clothing, high visibility stuff. You net, you got it. You need it. They got it. It's Safety Shoes Plus. Go check them out. Give them a call. 709-2297. That's 709-2297. Lee and I had done shows out there in the past. They are the nicest folks. Uh, and seriously, wall-to-wall gear. Like, you can't even move in there. They have so many options. So go check them out over in Saraland. It's the opening kickoffs, team of the day, Safety Shoes Plus. Go check them out. So I was thinking about your, uh, not your idea, but this Mendenhall, who I don't really remember that much from his uh, NFL days, but uh, who would be the quarterbacks in this game for the uh, for the black team, Mahomes and maybe Jalen Hurts, maybe? But who would be the uh, quarterbacks on the Caucasian team? Uh, there, there seems to be uh, some debate. There was some debate earlier about which team could claim Patrick Mahomes. I don't, I don't, I don't know his family history there. Uh, his so one. One parent is black and the other is white. That's okay. So does he? Does he? <laughs> no, no, to Mendenhall, I'm not even going there. Does he? Does he? Is he not eligible to play? Or maybe he'd be the referee. I don't know. It's a gray area. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Uh, so, okay. Who would be the quarterbacks? Not the, exactly what I meant. Okay, I know what you meant, but who who would be the quarterbacks on the? Oh, we're white? talking current roster, like current. current oh, it has to be the current roster. Yeah. So a current roster. I I, think I was trying to go through who the quarterbacks, and I'm telling you, I'm having a hard time coming up with some good ones. Do you ones. go with a uh, uh, Josh Allen, Josh Allen, Herbert, Joe, Joe Burrow? Uh, would be Burrow would be one if he's healthy. I think Justin Herbert is better, but that's a whole other discussion. Uh. Let's say you can't you can't have Mahomes. Mahomes is off the table. All right, so Jalen Hurts. Based on the criteria that Rashard Mendenhall has put out there, I would start Lamar Jackson. He'd be right up there, yeah. Over okay. Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts, man. Now ah. give it, like give him his due. He was playing flu-like symptoms yesterday. I understand, so, but it's yeah. been all season, Lee. Uh, and again, he's not bad by any means but he's not no, he's the same not guy he's not all. the same guy he was last year he's setting records with rushing touchdowns they're still 10 and 4 and like i said he had he's been banged up a lot like most quarterbacks but he yesterday playing through the flu so the fact that he went out there and is running the football like he was i give him a lot of credit it's not the same guy that they paid 255 million dollars to making poor decisions just he, He's reverted back to the same player he was like two years ago than he was last year. And I don't think the roster's as good, which I think is a factor. But, ooh, I don't know. Um, so we're getting being some... a little harsh on him in, based on the fact about how physical he is. That's what I'm saying right now. The, the fact that he's just not one hundred near, near, even close to 100%. And, in fact, he was so questionable, there was, a, there was a lot of talk that he wouldn't even play in the game. Yeah, I mean, I'm not basing this just off of last night. I'm basing this off the season as a whole. He's been off all season. so. Do you take them out of the mix for a Super Bowl? I don't think they are good enough to win the Super Bowl. Yes, I would say that. Uh, Jordan in the app says you better start red hot Jared Goff. And then somebody wants to know what's the, what's the ruling on Tua. Where do Islanders stand? I, I think he's ineligible to play in this game. Mm. Based on Mendenhall's criteria. It's like Commissioner Mendenhall? Yeah. 
The Go- new XFL. Go- I'll talk about Goff's a good selection. Is there a more underrated quarterback in the NFL? I like Jared Goff. Two, two years ago, he was written off the, the trade to the Lions, and that they were just using that and to get a first-rounder eventually. And Goff has really done well, and he's flown under the radar. Yeah, how about that trade for the Lions? Like the Stafford trade, Stafford looking trade. back, they got first-round picks out of it. Obviously, like from the Rams' perspective, they won a Super Bowl. Right, they so got what they wanted. They got their Super Bowl, so you got to give them that. But you know, the the Lions got first-round picks out of it and are starting Jared Goff, and he's been better than Stafford over All the right. last we, two we, years. We, so. we failed to provide context again. So if you're just joining us, Rashard Mendenhall, the former Pittsburgh running back, went on Twitter yesterday and started a uh, a storm. I'm sick of average white guys commenting on football. Y'all not even good at football. Can we please replace the Pro Bowl with an all-black versus all-white bowl so these cats can stop trying to teach us who's good at football? I'm b- I'm better than your goat. So not better he's better than McCaffrey? <laughs> we said it at the same time. Yeah. yeah. He's better than Christian McCaffrey, who's an MVP candidate this year. Was Mendenhall ever in the mix for an MVP? No. no. He fumbled away a Super Bowl. Gave Aaron Rodgers his only Super Bowl ring. Uh, so does Cooper Cup. Uh, yeah, so er, there are a lot of people out there putting together these rosters. Tell me you wouldn't watch that game, though. I would. I would totally watch that game. Oh, I would for a while. So, Goff, you go with Goff and Herbert, or do you go with... Um, I think you go Burrow or Allen, too. Just as easy. It's a deep, it's a deep quarterback depth chart. All right, what about running backs? McCaffrey, who else? Uh-oh. Yeah, uh-oh is right. Or do you have, like, a fullback just as a blocking back? I think McCaffrey's getting a lot of carries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. Cup is a receiver. So who do you go Adam, with on Adam the— Thielen? Yeah, who do you go with on the uh, on the other side? For the defensive line. No, no, so you, got, so you got McCaffrey uh, for the white team— Who's who's going for the black team? Who's starting at running back? I mean, I know you have a number of options oh, there, but who are you going with? You know who's really underrated is that guy from Miami, Mostert. Is that his? Mostert. Yeah, he's got like a bunch of touchdowns this year. He's really uh, flies under the radar. Yeah, he would work. I mean, do you? How about Derrick Henry after his, like, after his nine well, yards? I think it depends on what kind of offense yeah. you would run. Because do you counter carries. McCaffrey with somebody that's McCaffrey like? In like a like a like a Lamar and Lamar and Mostert would make a dangerous uh, rushing duo. Do you put Kamara in there? Yeah, maybe might might make the squad. They could they could rotate a lot of running backs. Yeah. All right. What other what other one are we going with? Wide receiver. Cup. Who else? Adam Thielen. Anybody else? Maybe Julian Edelman comes out of retirement. <laughs> Maybe split McCaffrey out wide. Yeah. <laughs> George, George Kittle has to take reps at receiver. Yeah, we'll see, well, tight end, though, right? They're set. You got Kelsey and you got Kittle. Yeah, Kel- Kelsey probably has to play And how about some of the – what's this guy, Laporta? And then the guy He's from – good. Min- how about the guy from Minnesota? Uh, was it Hawkins? Hawkinson? Yeah. So you got four guys. You could use one of them as a wide receiver. Yeah, Kelsey could be a wide receiver. Look, I think we made the point earlier that – the white team would be would actually be really good as long as you didn't have to play a cornerback. Well, you would. <laughs> you so, would as to. somebody pointed out, I think not only would McCaffrey get snaps for me at receiver, I think I'd have to put him at defensive back. Uh, you, yeah. You, you, you on defense, you'd play. You'd you'd rush three, drop eight in the zone, and don't let anybody get behind you. You, you would have to dip into the college game for the secondary because. And, uh, 
your receivers again, on the but black like, team where you're looking at like Justin Jefferson and Tyreek Hill and <laughs> Jamar Chase. Yeah, <laughs> like, you can also just hope that like Nick Bosa and TJ Watt are going to get to the quarterback so fast it won't matter. Oh, we forgot Taysom. Taysom's got a spot on that team. Yeah, he'll, he'll there you go. He'll contribute. How about uh, place kicker though? Is there a black place kicker? I don't. I don't know. I can't I think, think of so. any. Somebody's got a kick. Maybe going for two, and Tyreek Hill's going to be running past the secondary anyway. They can just go for two. Yeah, but you got to kick off. You know what? What you need to do? Call Danny Sheridan at the break and see if we can get a hypothetical line on on an all black versus all white program. Yeah, he's almost going to pick up a phone this early in the morning. Just an idea. But the idea that Mendenhall says he's better than know. your goat. I'm curious how his white teammates re- react to that. Well, they probably know him better than we do, and they're. J- I'm just guessing that's one year, one year. So they've the known he's been he's this way his it. whole life. Yeah, just like, uh, all right, we've heard this stuff before. That's fine. In, in, in all seriousness, I did think he the, say this on a show or something? No, on Twitter. I do oh. think the the bigger issue, and and a lot of people feel this way, just because you didn't play the game. You somehow don't have the ability to communicate what's good, what's bad, or analyze that game. And I, I will agree that players have a unique perspective that your your regular average Joes don't, for sure. But that's not to say that you can't understand and be really good. I mean, there's some really good coaches out there that never played the game. Football, you know, basketball, whatever, doesn't mean they don't understand the game. Uh, so I think that's an ignorant statement. I think some of the fantasy uh, players out there who win championships have a good knowledge of what's going on. Does that include you? Uh, let me. Let, yes. To no, a, it doesn't. Yes, it does. <laughs> I'm pl- I'm 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 in the semis. So clearly, I must. Michael, have where are you? Are you doing all right? In I'm Brighton? also in the semis, but unfortunately, I've run into the Stephen Root juggernaut. So he's. I- it, had I played so, Mark this weekly, I actually would have beaten him by look, like forty. So if my you win, defense, defense wins championships even in fantasy. Hey, baby, if you win, do you raise a flag in studio? I would, but it looks like I'm gonna have a tough time getting by Steven. He's Root. Michigan right now, but, but but look who I'm playing in the playoff. It's not fair. <laughs> kind kinda. Yeah, I work. I I did. I got a higher seed than you. Yep. And I got to play the juggernaut of Steven I'm Root. Just, it's I, ridiculous. I'm 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 trending at the right time. I won he's, three at the end of the regular season, man. He's got Christian McCaffrey on his team. Yeah, don't he I put know up that. forty on me. Uh, injury bug hit me. All right, eight o'clock coming up. Keith Niebuhr, Auburn. Stay with us. The Auburn, the opening kickoff. The Auburn kickoff too. This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all sports radio station, 105.5 FM, WNSP, and on the Sound of Mobile app. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Hine, Lee Shervanian, and Michael Brauner. The opening kickoff. Here are Mark, Lee, and Michael. All right, 8.05, here we are, hour number three, just rocking along here on a Tuesday. Thanks for hanging with us. 
Enjoy comebacks in football. You got two really good games to uh, capitalize on that yesterday. The Eagles had a nice lead on Seattle, but it evaporated in the final um, 28 seconds as uh, Seattle came down the field on a 92-yard touchdown drive, the longest touchdown drive of the year for the Seahawks. They won the game on a pass by backup quarterback Drew Locke, and they beat the Eagles 20-17. That uh, puts Philadelphia still in a tie with Dallas for the top spot in the NFC East, and it keeps alive hopes for a playoff berth for Seattle. Meanwhile, the bowl game yesterday, a very exciting finish. Western Kentucky was down by 28, rallied to tie the game in regulation with seconds to go, won it in overtime on a field goal after the Hilltoppers blocked an ODU field goal. In fact, they blocked two field goals, one near the end of regulation, one in overtime. And Western Kentucky wins the uh, famous Toastery Bowl, which was supposed to be in Nassau, Bahamas. But because they're renovating the field there, they moved it to Charlotte, uh, North Carolina. 38-35 was the final outcome. Recruiting day tomorrow, early signing period. Lots of news we've had. Keith Niebuhr covers it for Auburn Undercover and keeps us up to date on what's going on. Keith, welcome to the show. Happy holidays to you. Good morning. How are you today? Yeah, I'm good. Hey, I, I'm, they got me doing all Gators now, man. You know, so it's it's um, it's it's uh, going to be an interesting signing day. Let's put it that way. There's definitely some Auburn Gator battles, though, Lee. I will say that. They got you doing Gators now, Florida. All Gators. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. How did that happen? Oh, that's that, that's been there for a little while, but uh, you know, I'm from Florida, so they wanted to uh, see what we could do down there. You know, with a, at the new site with uh with on three and uh yeah it's been going great it's uh it's, it's a it's a roller coaster ride though i'll tell you that with this you, florida gators recruiting right now all right can you update us on auburn and what is yeah. expected tomorrow as far as the numbers well, and uh, I, look i i just don't cover auburn anymore so it's going to be i don't really know but i can tell you what the here's some of the battles that, that auburn's in i, I could you because they're in a few of them with florida two big ones right now one of them is Amaris Williams. Now, Florida's already flipped – excuse me, Auburn's already flipped one guy from Florida, all right? And that was Jamonte Waller, the four-star edge rusher slash inside linebacker from Mississippi. So now Auburn's working on two other Gator commits, uh, and they may have a chance at both, probably a better chance with one of them, and that is Amaris Williams out of Clinton, North Carolina. Now, he's an edge rusher for Florida. Auburn's recruiting him more as a straight, I think, defensive lineman. Uh, I visited him about a month ago up in North Carolina, and he kind of – he kind of got the sense that he wasn't 100% all in with Florida. He actually complained a little bit, Lee, about Florida's development. And, and so, the, you know, talk about some red flags. That, that's some red flags. And at the time, everybody thought Ohio State was the team to watch or maybe Georgia. But since then, Auburn's come in strong. He visited there last weekend. And they seem to have a lot of the momentum right now. And so, uh, you know, don't be surprised if Auburn flips this four-star lineman defensive lineman from from florida tomorrow it's, it's significant now if he's going to play on the defensive line again a florida liked him as an edge rusher Lee. if he's going to play on the defensive line he's probably going to have to be a three technique guy he's not super big i mean he's six two two sixty so people say oh he could be 300 but i don't know that about that with his frame you know every not every six two kid has the same frame you know what i mean it's they're all built differently but uh, but he's a very good player he's had a heck of a season and so that would be a significant pickup for, for Auburn, and it would be a second flip over Florida. Now, the third one would be, I guess, the, the big one, the, the icing on the cake. That's a kid named L.J. McCray, defensive end slash edge from Daytona Beach, Florida. Five-star kid. He's been committed to Florida for a while. 
uh, for about a month and a half. He's got ties to the Florida program, and of course, he's only a couple hours uh, outside of Gainesville, but Auburn's made it interesting. Uh, four states also heavily involved, but most people we talk to think Auburn's probably the team giving him the most to think about. Jamonte Waller, who flipped from, from Florida to Auburn earlier this year, uh, is recruiting him really hard, too. So you've got that. You've got the coaching staff on him. Then you've got that other factor, Lee, which is the, the unknown variable, NIL. And we continue to hear that, that Auburn's NIL has been attractive to top high school recruits. So uh, Florida, Florida's going to hang on for dear life there. I think the feeling in Gainesville is they will, but it's probably a little closer than, than they'd like to think. And so um, a little bit more intrigue. So those are the guys, those are the big battles there. Those are really the ones I can tell you about. The, 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 the narrative on Auburn that people get excited about is the receiving core coming in. Are you impressed with what Hugh Freeze has done with the receivers? Yeah, I mean, again, I I just don't really track them as much as I used to. But, yeah, I mean, Perry Thompson is a legit animal out there, okay? And Cam Coleman is, too. So you, you've got elite guys. And then you've got other guys that, you know, again, I'm not covering Auburn. So, but you've got other guys that I hear great things about. Uh, that, what, the Malcolm Simmons kid? So, yes, 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 and yes. And, and, Lee, that's been really the weakness of the Auburn team or a weakness of the Auburn team in the last few years, not having great receivers. Well, talk about addressing it. You're bringing in two five-stars. They're still working on Ryan Williams, the Alabama commit who just reclassified. I, I don't know what their chances are there. You hear different things from different people, but yes, a thousand times yes. I mean, look, you, you've got to win. You're going to win and lose games up front, let's be honest. But, boy, if you have dynamic skill players like Auburn's bringing in, that makes you think if you're an Auburn fan that my program is about to take some major leaps forward. So since you're now connected with the Gators, maybe you yeah. can give us an overview because I – I've seen a reported that number of players have left. Uh, you're, you're following, you know, as far as the recruiting goes, where does this program, the Florida Gator program stand right now in a state of flux? And this being uh, the third year for their head coach, such it seems to me a very, very important year for him. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, look, <laughs> not every kid that leaves is the same situation. So Florida right now, I think is at 85 scholarship with 17 or 18 guys gone. In other words, what I'm trying to tell you, Lee, is a lot of these kids didn't leave on their own, okay? <laughs> and you're looking at the numbers across the country, and people are saying, well, it must be just complete panic and meltdown time at Gainesville. Of the guys that have left, I'd say there's been two or three that they wouldn't have mind keeping. The rest of the guys were not going to play. Kamari Wilson was a five-star recruit a couple years ago. So when he enters the transfer portal, everybody's flipping out. Not Gator fans, because they knew he hadn't played. He barely played at all this past year. And I think there was maybe some disciplinary stuff as well. The year before, uh, as a true freshman, he played somewhat. And so his, his career was not taking off in Gainesville. And so when a guy like that leaves, it generates headlines because the headline says, Lee, five-star from 2022 leaves Florida. He wasn't playing, and he wasn't going to play more next year. So, you know, that's not sugarcoating. That's not sunshine pumping. That's looking at the statistics, and that's talking to people inside the program. And so there was more of that than – than anything else. Now, there were a couple really good players that left. Trevor Etienne, the running back, talented running back, uh, number two on their depth chart, had over 700 yards rushing. Um, you know, that, that was, that's a guy you didn't want to lose. Uh, Princely Humanellen, uh, edge rusher that was second-team All-SEC, he left and ended up at Ole Miss. And that was an interesting one, Lee, because I think they thought he was just going to go pro. Instead, he left the program and ended up at Ole Miss, who goes to Florida Field next year. So, interesting. But most of the other guys... Quite frankly, you, you know, your third-string quarterback transfers to Charlotte. I mean, do you, I mean, but yet it's one more guy. 
a lot of programs have double-digit guys that have left Georgia, FSU, Miami. So it's just a state of college football right now. But it's actually a positive for Florida. They're knocking out guys that probably weren't going to contribute, and now they can bring in guys that they hope can. Hope, hope, hope. That's the big word there. Uh, but recruiting-wise, you know, they've got a top-10 class now. They've got to hang on to some people. Now, it looks like they could lose one or two more, and so um, possibly three. So it's going to be a little dicey. They hope to add one or two on signing day. And then in the portal league, they picked up three guys that all should be challenging for starting spots, uh, and they just picked up those guys in the last few days. One of them is a left tackle. One of them is a defensive tackle that was the Ivy League player of the year. And believe it or not, we've seen guys come from the Ivy League to the Power 5 schools in the last few years and done really well. There's some good players up there. And uh, the third guy is a defensive back from Lynette, Alabama. Uh, Try Quezzy Bridges, who played at Oregon the last few years, and he'll probably move into a starting role at safety at Florida. So they're trying to get better that way, Lee. Uh, but yeah, they got to win. Look, they got to win. They're 11 and 14, this staff. 11 and 14, which is terrible. It's not acceptable. They know that. They had a lot of work to do when they got there. The roster was depleted. If you look at Ring, it's a, a lot of the similarities between them and Auburn. The roster was not good when they got there, and the culture was even worse. And so they've had to try to fix those two things. And so far, they haven't been able to make that noticeable move forward. So it's, uh, it's all going to come down to all these young players returning, plus they hope to have an infusion of talent from the portal. But, Lee, it's easier said than done, man. Keith, it sounds like DJ Lagway is, is solid and, and, and going to stay committed. Is he what Billy Napier needs to, to you know, <coughs> turn this thing around and will Billy Napier have time for him to ve- to uh, develop for him to turn this thing around? Yeah. Well, first of all, I mean, they feel good about keeping him. He says he's locked in, but we know that they're still listening to other schools. And you know what? Why wouldn't you? He's a five-star player. He very well, very well may end up uh, in the top five overall in the class. He could be the number one quarterback before it's all said and done. And he had an unbelievable year, 4,600 yards passing, almost 1,000 yards rushing. Max Preps named his national player of the year today. It very well could be him. So, he, you know, he's a, a legit five-star talent. Now, the question is how soon could he be able to play? <clears throat> Will he be ready? Now, he would be there in January playing behind Graham Mertz. Probably be a situation, guys, like remember when Tim Tebow was a freshman, they had packages for him each game? You're going to have to do that. You're not going to pay this guy what the NIL is paying him, which is you have to imagine a lot. Uh, to sit on the bench, right? So they got to get him out there. They got to get him ready and then hope that they have a good enough season next year that they are allowed to come back as a staff in 2025 when he should be the starter. Uh, so here's the thing with their class. Like I said, they very well could lose a few more guys. People are chipping away at them. But even if it ends up, uh, let's say, 16th in the country or 17th in the country, if they keep the two five-star guys, you know, your class is built on difference makers. You, you want to be in the top five. You want to be in the top 10 of the rankings. But we saw Clemson win national titles without being up that high because their classes had the difference makers, the Trevor Lawrence's, the Justin Ross's, the, the, you know, the, uh, um, you know, the other quarterback whose name's slipping my memory now. So, you know, it's uh, Deshaun Watson. So if you can keep him, you can start maybe moving in that other direction. Now, look, they had a lot of young guys last year. They were the youngest team in the SEC. Eugene Wilson, their freshman receiver, is probably the best freshman in the conference, maybe one of the best freshmen in the country. So there's some young talent to build on, but they've got to grow up fast against the schedule next year. That Guys, I don't know if you've looked at Florida's schedule. 
Yeah, first of all, you got to play FSU every year, right? Well, next year, that's at FSU. They shouldn't be as good, but at FSU, Miami at home. Miami's on the schedule the next couple of years. UCF at home. That will be the Super Bowl for UCF, okay? At Texas, Texas A&M at home. LSU at home. Georgia and Jacksonville. Tennessee at home. Ole Miss at home. At Mississippi State. It's a challenging schedule, maybe the best I've ever seen. So they're going to have to figure out a way to win some games, or, or it's going to be uh, – yeah, it's gonna be one of those uh, one of those interesting falls. You know how that goes, guys. Keith, great stuff, man. Merry Christmas to you and yours. How can people continue to follow your coverage of the Gators yeah, and all just, things recruiting? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, just get GatorsOnline.com or On3.com, and we appreciate all the support. I appreciate you guys having me on. Yep. Have a great uh, Christmas, man. We appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Merry Christmas and uh, happy Hanukkah, everybody else. Take care, guys. Uh, all right. Uh, scoreboard traffic and weather. Traffic and weather. What are we doing? We'll do scoreboard. Yay! Clark gets the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, you guys can jump in. Uh, this uh, Mendenhall thing is getting interesting in the app, so we'll uh, we'll get back to some of that. And of course, you can get in on. Uh, the High School Athletic Association, the reclassification, we talked a lot about that earlier today, but we can certainly revisit that. And Ross Dellinger is set to join us at 8.30. Stay with us. The opening kickoff. There's plenty left. Hi, this is Dan Jennings with the Washington Nationals, and you're listening to WNSP Sports Radio 105.5. That's to help. You know what that is? That's years of chemistry and working together. That, that, One that's day our, you'll get there. That's our send-off for you, Michael, so you enjoy your trip home to Jersey. I appreciate that. Yes. Uh, all right. You guys can jump in at 694-1055 if you'd like to jump in on the uh, hypothetical all-black versus all-white Pro Bowl that Rashard Mendenhall is suggesting. And apparently this – comes out of the fact that he's a little upset with the criticism of Mike Tomlin, the Steeler coach. Tomlin's been the subject of criticism now, the Steelers so-so season. So this is what this came out of. That's why he's saying that people have no right to, you know, poke fun or criticize or do anything about Mike Tomlin. So obviously he's a big fan of the, the Steelers coach. He's saying, I'm sick of average white guys commenting on football. Y'all not even good at football. I didn't realize this was about uh, Mike Tomlin. This is about Tomlin, and I noticed does he? I don't want to get too too deep into this. Might as but, well. Let's go. But is Mendenhall also? What about some of the black analysts who have criticism of Tomlin? Is does he? Is he okay with that? I mean, Mike Tomlin has three playoff wins in the last ten years. I understand he's never had a losing record. They haven't won a playoff game in five-plus years. I will give the Steelers a lot of consistency. I think what they've only had like about four coaches in the last 60 years or so, you know, Chuck Knoll and uh, Cower. Uh, and then, of course, uh, you know, Tomlin. They, 
I, I like their organization. They're, they're very stable. They don't keep changing coaches. So I think where Mendenhall gets this a little screwed up here is the idea that Tomlin is getting criticism because he's black. That's not why he's being no. criticized. I think w- most people recognize Mike Tomlin's one of the better coaches of in course. NFL history. Of course, and the consistency that you pointed to, Lee, and the success that, that Pittsburgh has had. He's he's never, to my knowledge, up until this point, really been on any type of hot seat. Uh, and, and he's I'm not, not saying the he only is now. one. I mean, I'm not saying you got he is Atlanta now. fans screaming, uh, right? New England fans aren't real happy right now. They're talking about trading Bill Belichick. Like what? We're firing. Yeah. So I, I think that's where things get a little crazy is when you start screaming race when something isn't necessarily racially motivated. Um I think that's that's the problem. Now, people have had fun with his comments about an all-white versus all-black pro ball team, and we've broken down some teams for you. I think other, I think others will be doing that today also. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all in good, clean fun. Was it T.J. Watt who was uh, asked about it? And he was the one who said, well, we may be a little short here. We may, <laughs> we may not be able to field a, a really good defensive backfield or something like that. I saw some of his comments on it, so he followed up with it pretty neatly. So I don't know. He's turned it into more of a race issue than it was prior to him tweeting that comment. Well, I'd be curious to see. What if Stephen A. said something? Is that okay then? He didn't play football, as far as I know. I think Stephen A. is a Steelers fan, too. And I'm not saying he's the one that's criticizing Tomlin. In fact, I did hear... But I don't remember where it came from. I've heard some, but of course you're always going to hear criticism. You hear criticism of Dennis Allen of the Saints uh, as of what yesterday. Uh, coaches get criticized. They all a lot do. Of, a lot of them stink. Exactly. A lot of them are bad. A lot of them are incompetent. You know, you know who I haven't heard though lately is the Bears coach. You know they've won some games lately, but they also find ways to lose games. Flutus, whatever his name is, what is his a- name? Matt Eberflutus. Eberflutus. Flutus. <laughs> I haven't heard. I haven't heard his name lately. Yeah, he might find a way to keep his job. I don't think so, because like I don't think they're gonna make a miracle run to the playoffs. But they were five and eight going into this weekend. I think he's gonna get fired. He is. He is a loser of a head coach. Hanging on for that number one pick with uh, okay. Panthers they winning the other day. Over I know it, with so the Panthers yeah. winning, the Patriots are still in the hunt. Fields has quietly been a little bit better yes, lately too. Arizona's been the hunt for that number one pick. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think they have to draft Caleb Williams if they have the number one pick, but we'll see what happens. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk transfers. And in the midst of this uh, recruiting chaos, Ross Dellinger is expected to join us next, right here on the sports station, WNSP and WNSP.com. All right, 
32, boys and girls. Thanks for hanging with us on an animated Tuesday edition of the opening kickoff. We are far from over. Been a lot of talk these days about the transfer portal based on a court hearing recently in West Virginia. There's a lot of gray areas in this, and, and a person has followed this right very close to the vest is one of the gifted writers now with Yahoo Sports, Ross Dellinger. Ross, welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you today? Good morning. How are you? Good. Before we get to any opinions or questions about opinions, can you bring us up to date where this court hearing stands and then the NCAA response about if some of these transfers who are in for the second time, if they compete, that they might not, they may lose their eligibility. It got very confusing after that court hearing. It did. It's a little complicated. Uh, so I'll start from the top. Uh, Two lawsuits were, were brought against the NCAA's transfer policy, basically trying to get the transfer policy abolished. Uh, the two lawsuits were com combined, uh, and a hearing was held uh, last week in, in West Virginia in U.S. District Court. Um, the judge in, in, that, in that hearing decided, and a couple of players testified uh, in that hearing, a couple of athletes who were trying to seek waivers who, who had you know transferred they were transferring a second time they were trying to seek waivers uh that's kind of the crux of the of the case was multi-time transfers who were denied waivers to to play immediately at their their what would be their third school um and so athletes testified in front of the judge the judge ruled that the basically put a temporary restraining order on the NCAA's policy to to deny multi-time transfers to play immediately. So all transfers, uh, he deemed it a 14-day temporary restraining order, could play immediately without a waiver uh, if you're a second or third, fourth-time transfer. Uh, I think what happened next, the next step in this, was that the NCAA, to, to, to clear things up a little bit, the NCAA agreed to extend that 14-day temporary restraining order. They agreed with the court to extend it through the spring. That way, all winter and spring athletes to the at the end through the academic year, so through the sports year, which goes to about June, the College World Series is usually the final uh, athletic event. All athletes who have transferred more than once can play immediately at their new school if they're academically eligible. They don't need a waiver any longer. So that's what's called a preliminary injunction. So it is it is kind of temporary. Uh, we'll have probably a hearing maybe over the summer uh, and then maybe potentially a court case if the NCAA does not settle or does not agree or change its transfer policy itself. Does the NCAA really have a a chance now to change this is this it just seems like everything's going against the ncaa these days and they really they have no power or really drive to to to, to win cases like this well it's a yeah it's a great question the ncaa has certainly been on, on the losing end of, of many of these court battles a lot of their a lot of their policies and rules which by the way um you know the NCAA is a member institution. Um, you know people people look at the NCAA and think, you know, big bad NCAA. But really, the NCAA just enforces. It's the enforcement arm 
uh, it enforces rules made by the schools, their, their members. So um, school administrators, presidents, coaches, even uh, athletic directors are on all of these, are on these committees that make the rules. And the NCAA, all they do is enforce them. Well, unfortunately, the courts say mo mo most of the NCAA's rules are in violation of federal antitrust laws, many of them. Um, in restricting trade, restricting uh, access for players, things like that. So uh, to get back to your question, does the NCAA have a chance here to change its transfer policy? Yeah, it, it, it could change its transfer policy. I would expect that to be a big topic at the NCAA convention in about three and a half weeks or so in, in Phoenix. Um, is it? But it might be too late. You know, it, 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 it might be too late for the NCAA to really change it uh, now that this court case is um, kind of in the first step, you know, we're kind of we're kind of in it now. Um, uh, but a big a big question that lingers out there is for football, it, it, it football transfers. You know, right now this really doesn't affect football transfers because it's only going through you know to to June. Right uh, for athletes to play immediately, but will the court extend that through football? Will the NCAA change its transfer rules next month to extend that through football, or completely eliminate the uh, waiver process, like some want? Uh, you know, allow unlimited transfers potentially. There's a lot of options on the table. I'm sure it'll be a big talking point next month. Ross, it's it's interesting because guys that are kind of old school like me or conservative, whatever word you want to use, feels like this transferring has gone too far and we kind of have to rein it back in. But this seems to like say, yeah, screw that. We're we're gonna push the line even further, right? It's it's even gonna go even further than that. It, where where does it all end? What's the end game here? Like in ten years from now, are we gonna be talking about how guys can just up and transfer whenever they want, as many times as they want, be immediately eligible? Well, probably not 10 years. Yeah, probably much sooner, yeah. <laughs> um, if I had to guess. I mean, I think two years ago when they instituted the one-time transfer exception, which allowed athletes to transfer once and play immediately, uh, and after that one-time transfer, they have to go through the waiver process, which is what this court, obviously, court case was was about. Um you know, I think when they did that two years ago, there was a lot of thought that eventually that would open that, you know, to use the cliche that it would open the, the can of worms yeah. um, for an unlimited transfer to happen. And now we're seeing that that's that's what we're seeing. This this court case went after the waiver process uh, and the denial of the NCAA to uh, to grant waivers for second time transfers, third time transfers. And uh, we're seeing we're seeing that maybe start to uh start to happen uh you know it's hard to go back um on some of these policies you know once once you once you open the door uh the once the door is is open even it's even if it's not by your own doing with the ncaa maybe it's court cases or federal legislation or supreme court uh once you crack that door it's, it's hard to to close it or open that can hard to close it and, yeah. and i think uh, a good example of, of of that is is what happened with the NIL and, and NIL collectives. The uh, can was open for basically pay for play through booster collectives, and uh, now I know officials want to try to rein that back in. Well, it's open, and, and I don't know that it's raining back in 
barring some help from Congress. And I and I think to your point, I think one, I think one has a direct impact on the other. I think the more aggressive we get on transfers, I think the more aggressive universities and collectives are going to be on NIL to get those transfers. Well, yeah, you know that's you you'll hear a lot of coaches talk about. Um, you know, the Wild West or administrators talk about the Wild West right now in college athletics with unregulated free agency. And that, that's what NIL and the transfer portal, com- the combination of the two has done. It, it has created somewhat of a, of a unrestricted, unregulated free agency in, in college athletics with, with uh, you know, programs trying to outbid the other for uh, for athletes, and then uh, if you if you throw in an unlimited transfer, then you know you can imagine that uh, as crazy as it is right now, it it will get much busier. Yeah, but Ross, what I find amusing about this, okay, a couple of athletes were turned down on waivers, so they got attorneys, and that's what we wound up in the West Virginia court case. But then you look at the overview of all the athletes that are transferring all over the place, and I think of J.D. Daniels, the quarterback, who I think now is at Rice or maybe he's at another school, and I think he's had four transfers. There have been a number of other quarterbacks. Every time I read about a transfer, especially quarterbacks, it seems like they started here, went there, and they've been maybe two or three places already. So to me, it's like such a, a, a mood issue, basically because just a couple of athletes were denied waivers, but the majority aren't denied. Well, that's kind of changed recently. So that, that's one of the restrictions that the NCAA changed this past year um, is denying more waivers and making the waiver process more stringent. Um, for example, previously before this year, uh, the NCAA had allowed athletes, uh, there were certain guidelines that athletes had to meet criteria in order to gain a waiver. Uh, and there were 12 of those, 12 kind of avenues that athletes could use to gain a waiver. Uh, and, and that went from 12 to, to really three um, this year. So more waivers were denied. I believe the numbers, I had numbers in my story last week, but I think it was uh, roughly 30 percent, 25 to 30 percent of uh, waivers have been granted, waivers for this year, this academic year. Um, you know, so it, it just it doesn't happen quite as much as it did previously. Um, it's kind of been a roller coaster, you know, uh, 10, 20 years ago, whatever. The NCAA really, oh, maybe you have to go back 30 plus years ago. The NCAA didn't have a waiver process at all, um, and or barely did, where you had very, very little waivers granted at all. Um, and then they instituted, I think, the waiver process in the 90s. And, slowly the criteria grew right in the 90s or 2000s and all of a sudden you were allowing uh, you were granting quite a bit of waivers and then all that again then they went back and tightened it this past year and now some administrators want to do away with the waiver process uh completely and uh, want to have a one-time transfer and that's it um if you transfer more than once you're no matter what happened in your personal life no matter your mental health or, or illness, you you can't play immediately at your new school. That That's what they want to do now. Unfortunately for them, it's probably a little too late. They probably should have done that two years ago when they instituted the one-time transfer exception. At the same time, 
they should have probably instituted the abolishment of uh, waivers. Uh, and now with this court case active, it's kind of tough again to close the can. Uh, I, and I think you kind of touched on this with your answer there, but if we don't have a COVID year, are, are we are we kind of are we at this point? Are we talking about this transfer deal of this magnitude, or do you think that was kind of what opened the door or the can or whatever? Yeah, that's that's a that's a big part of this. That's kind of overshadowed, but we probably have another year, maybe another two years of it, where you where you have athletes that uh, were granted that COVID year, that extra year, basically a sixth year, um, and. That that is kind of exacerbated things. Uh, you just have more athletes, um, you know, eligible in the pool, uh, and they're they're able to transfer more. And those those who have graduated, right? You, sometimes you have um, you mentioned. I think you mentioned uh, JD Daniels. Uh, 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 you know, he he's he he had at some point. I think he had transferred four a total of four times and twice. Postgraduate. So when you, after you graduate, um, the NCAA allows you kind of an unlimited transfer, uh, or at least you have to file a waiver. And normally those postgraduate waivers are granted. Uh, so that that is a big part of this. When when you have kind of the COVID era athletes moving on, which again I think we we'll, we'll got we have an, at least another year of it. Um, you you'll have a little. Uh, Probably this, all of this will decrease a little bit. Um, uh, that's the thought, anyway. Ross Dellinger with Yahoo. They break a lot of stories on this. And, Ross, let me ask you, with all the experience you've had in covering college sports, you've been a beat reporter and now covering an overview of what's going on, mostly in the courts, I'd like to get your opinion. What would you like to see done on this transfer portal? Well, I, you know, I think it's um, – I think that two years ago when they allowed the one-time transfer exception, um, they probably should have, and, you know, hindsight's 2020, but they probably should have abolished the waiver process. The waiver process to me, um, it, it's, it's, uh, it's just kind of convoluted. Um, decisions are a little inconsistent and don't blame, you know, necessarily the NCAA officials making them because they're, they're very difficult. To, uh, to make, um, but I, I think that's probably the way they should go. However, like I mentioned, I, I you know I, I think it it might be it might be too late uh, to to do that. Um, you know, and, and honestly, in any federal help coming from the NCAA, you might potentially have a bill that allows unlimited transfer. Um, one thing the NCAA has going for it in the, in their argument for fewer transfers. Um, is academics and how in the impact uh, that transferring and moving around has on a player's academics. And uh, I think over the next year or two, we'll probably see better data um, since the one-time transfers, you know, um, decision was made two years ago. You'll have three or four years of data to kind of track athletes uh, and they'll, that, that is one thing they have going for them to, to use is, look, this impacts negatively a player's academics. Let me ask you this. Obviously, the quarterbacks got a lion's share. That's pretty much what we follow, where they go. Do you know what the percentage is of those who went to the portal who wind up going nowhere, just to stagnate in the, in the portal and nobody picks them up? Yeah, so these numbers are um, 
often debatable uh, among whoever you're talking about. Uh, you know, the NCAA uses numbers that say, you know, around 40%, I think it's 40% of athletes who enter the transfer portal don't find a, a home. I, that number is high from what I understand. If you if you zero in on FBS scholarship players, that number maybe is more like, you know, 10 to 20% maybe don't find a scholarship elsewhere. Uh, so, uh, yeah, the numbers are a little erratic. It, it just kind of depends on um, on your qualifiers. But I think FBS scholarship players, most of them find a home, find another scholarship. But there are some that certainly do not. Ross, man, we certainly appreciate the time. It, it doesn't seem like it was that long ago. We were just bickering over using a kid's name in a video game, how far we've come in so little time. Yeah, indeed. Hey, man, indeed, we'll, indeed. we'll be Thanks following guys. you on Twitter at Ross Dellinger. Thanks for the time. Merry Christmas. All right. Bye-bye. All right, one final segment, closing ceremonies. We'll give you a sneak peek into tomorrow's show, Sands Bronner. That's right. We're kicking him out. He's arguing with our listeners too much in the app. We're kicking him out. We're done. Somebody get Triple G in here. Mm. Yeah, you're going to enjoy it, Lee. <laughs> Good stuff. All right, one final segment. Here we go. Hey, this is Stuart Fink for the PGA Tour. You're listening to WNFB Sports Radio and Mobile. Don't want him. Don't need him. He's All he so does is wreak havoc. He's so anti. He hates everything. He's so anti-Garden State people. It's amazing to me. No, if I were, you would have been out here a long time no, ago. You, no, I would have been here. No, I mean, you're a Garden guy. I know, but you're I... Garden State guy, whatever. I, I don't know if you have the power to throw me out yet, do you? Clearly, <laughs> I don't. How long have we been doing this show together? <laughs> I've been trying. Good news, by the way, for tomorrow. Yeah, what do we got? I just got Besides a... Besides Triple G. Well... That the good news is that we got a text from Chris Stewart, and he will join us whoop, whoop. at his advertised time at 8 o'clock. Now, Chris is out in Phoenix with the Alabama uh, basketball team as they get ready to take on Arizona tomorrow night. So, you to stay up for that game, Lee? I don't think I can. Would you call me? How about you I'll now? Call you. So if it's 10 o'clock here, that'd be 11 o'clock Eastern time. Are you going to stay up? Uh, I don't leave till Thursday, but— uh, Wait a minute. You don't leave till Thursday. Out the bag. Wait a minute. So Bruh. wait a second. What's going on here? Well, I got things to do. He took time off. What he does with his time is his business. What goes on in Mobile stays in Mobile. Does it? Not in Baldwin County. Anyway, Chris will be on the show tomorrow. All right. Well, Taylor be Zarzer I've will be on it. the show tomorrow. He is going to be calling the bowl game in Mobile Saturday, and obviously we can talk to him about Alabama since he's SEC announcer. But really, the key to tomorrow's show, during the show, the three hours, you'll be announcing uh, early signings. Oh, yeah. I got, yeah, yeah I, I'm actually going to have to work tomorrow. You're going to have to work. You'll get South Alabama, Auburn, and Alabama. We'll be uh, updating you throughout the course of the three hours as to who is signing with those three. I just think, uh, and I, I've said this from the very beginning, I never liked early signing day. 
I think it takes away from the magnitude of National Signing Day. Uh, and at this point, there's so much being reported already. It's just kind of a – there are going to be very few surprises, I think. Yeah, and, but I'll tell you what I don't miss because when you had the one National Signing Day and then, of course, the uh, ESPN and the CBS Sports, they would line up five or six or seven high school players and they'd all go through their dog and pony show. Yeah. I don't miss that at all. Maybe you do, but I mean, there were some cute ones, but I don't, I don't miss that part of it. I do. I, I, I from a, from a news and content standpoint, there's just, there, there's just not a lot of it. Uh, I like anymore. the dog and pony shows. Yeah. Uh, but you know, we'll, uh, we'll play the game the way the rules are laid out. So we will get you updates on all the faxes or, signatures or whatever we're calling them these days come in and we'll report as they happen yeah i don't think the faxes play much part in this anymore do they it's no no now you can just scan it in your copy machine off it is uh so yeah we'll do that that again like superman used to do in the tv show yeah yeah superman black and white superman there black and white all right well uh I'm, i'm curious to see if we'll get any uh if uh, Mr. Mendenhall is going to double down on any of this after a, a, a day or two of news cycle here, kind of spins through. So his. my question is, if I know this game is never going to come about, and it's hypothetical, but if it did, could Tom Brady come out of retirement? If I, if you're Vince McMahon, are you not somehow getting in touch with people and putting this together? What is he doing now? I don't know. Is he still in wrestling? Wrestling. See, spring football like if you're the rock right and you got the spring lead what better way to start the spring league than with the is that a, but black is, white pro bowl but do you think that's such a good idea of course not but i don't we never let good ideas get in the way of good content so what We're if, trying to unify the country instead of separate it I good mean, for that, you lee those, those we are, need more of that we'll shake hands after it'll be in good clean fun I don't know the way they call penalties these days. All right, so there'll be a big debate over who's going to officiate the game. And did, did you check the where one, the game's going to be? Did you check the what I said earlier about the official running into the coach on the sideline? Did you see that at I all? I did not. All right, that happened yesterday. This is the strangest penalty that I've come across. All right, in the Western Kentucky Old Dominion game, late in the game, Western Kentucky is driving, and they're moving down the field in an effort to try to tie the game. So after they complete a pass, a flag is thrown, and and the announcers are saying, oh, gee, what's this going to be about? And I caught this in real time. Oh, wait a minute. It's on the Old Dominion, I think they said offensive coordinator. He got in the way of the official. Well, the official apparently was backpedaling and ran into the coach. who It looked like he was okay that he was where he was supposed to be. Add it to the list of things that need to be reviewable next year. Coach is getting into it with officials. On After the further review, it appears the offensive coordinator was not in the field to play. The call has been reversed. Second down. All right, Bronner, all seriousness, have a good vacay, man. Thank we'll, uh, you. We'll you see too, you next week Merry Christmas, uh, we'll be Well, two of us will be back tomorrow at 6. Until then, see you.